Hello, folks. Welcome back to the podcast. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Black Star Woodcrafts. I've talked about before at the top of several podcasts. My man Scott makes some awesome, awesome stuff. I got this really cool um, wood handled crochet set he made for my mom for Christmas. Um, he makes pens, he makes bath caddies. You name it, if it's made out of wood, this guy can do it. Um, you know, sometimes you go to the store or you're at some gift shop and you see something that's made out of wood and it looks kind of neat. But it also looks kind of cheaply made and there's that sticker on the bottom that says made in china you will not get that with black star woodcrafts he runs it all himself he does it all himself his workshop is in michigan and he makes some really awesome stuff you can find him at black star woodcrafts on facebook and instagram and you can message him directly through there um, see what he has to offer see if you got an idea about something see if he can do it and he'll be more than willing to work with you on it come up with some ideas how you want it to look give you a price and also let you know when he can get that done so go check him out and right now because he's a sponsor of this podcast Everybody who goes and places an order and mentions that you got there through this show, the Finch Show podcast, you will get 10% off your order. So make sure you mention that. Go give my man Scott some love. He does some amazing things. Today on the podcast is my friend Chris Davis. Chris Davis is an awesome dude. He is a war veteran um, and he just we had so much fun. Um, this podcast ran almost three hours. We just had a blast talking. Um, it was really great to catch up. We covered so many different topics. I don't even know where to start, but I can't thank him enough for coming on. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here is Chris Davis. How you doing, Chris? Good. How are you, James? Nice to see you again. Yeah, I'm glad we finally got this to work out. Um, we had people listening. We had a bit of a gap there in podcast. I had uh, between Chris here, we had to reschedule, and two others I had to cancel. I had strep throat really bad. Which there are certain things you figure out when you're doing something that requires your voice. That when you lose it, <laughs> you just can't do it. Right. So um, glad to be back, everybody. Hope everybody had a good holidays. Chris is here, and um, right off the bat, I told you I wanted to ask you about, um, you got like a pretty crazy Ancestry.com story that went down, yeah? Yeah, um, I've been doing my family's genealogy for, God, how long has it been? 15, 16 years. And the reason I got started into it was that uh, my grandmother, my, my, my mom's side, her father, um, he, his mother died very young. She was 30, had like six kids. And when she, I, th I believe it was cancer, and when she was on her deathbed, the dad skipped out of town, left, found some woman down in Missouri, left the kids. Well, the kids all got separated. This was like in the 20s, or the late, uh, near the tw early 20s. And so they all got separated, put in the orphanages. My grandfather, he ended up going to Chicago, it was around there in the roaring 20s, came back, um, Back to the uh, southwestern Wisconsin area because that's where both my maternal, my mom's side of the family's from, and I was trying to find her for a very, very long time. I couldn't figure out where she was buried, what happened. Well, um, I got I fast forward a little bit. I got into uh, Ancestry came out with the DNA thing, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to try this out. So I did, and I was looking for 
you know, I, I, I basically did it to find family in other countries, you know, that I, you know, from when we came over here, the people we left behind. And I found a cousin, a cousin of mine. She's from Sweden. And actually, her brother did it, too, but they had two different last names, uh, Ancestry. And I didn't realize they were related to each other. And I got, I sent her a message, and she got back to me instantaneously. There, there was other people that I did, like in Ireland, stuff like that, never got back to me, but she did. And um, she told me that her brother was on there, too. And it was that same person I was telling you about with a different last name. Um, he's actually a cop in Stockholm, in Sweden. And he... Um, he had fought, also fought in Bosnia in the nineties. He was, yeah, he was he was part of the UN force there. So wow. right off the bat, me and him were you know connected. And also his sister Lada, his name is Frederick, and they came over in March and spent Saint Pat the, the week of Saint Patrick's Day with us. It was amazing. You know, we connected immediately. And I mean, I would recommend it for anybody that wants to try and you know find their family from other countries. I can't guarantee it would end up. I was lucky the way it, it turned out yeah. for me. And um, they're planning on coming back. When is it? Fourth of July. Oh. So, <laughs> you know, we're 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 pretty close. It's it's amazing. We talk weekly, you know. And she's got three kids. She's got uh, two daughters and a son. And Frederick, he doesn't have any children, but you know, he's he's he came over twice actually. He came over in March during St. Patrick's Day, and he came back over in uh, September and brought one of his other cop friends with him. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That is crazy. I've been meaning to do that. Um, the crazy thing is, is my, my great-grandfather is from um, Wales. He was a coal miner in Wales, actually fought in the British Army in World War I. Um, and if you just do a cursory look, the name Finch in Wales is pretty common. Oh, okay. And to this day, I've always wondered, like, how many of those people are, you know, even if they're like 15th, 16th cousins, something like that, because I'm pretty sure the family's been there for yeah. generations and generations. There's, I even found there's a statue um, of a Welsh politician by the name of Finch. And I tried doing some search, and the best I could get out is probably some distant cousin or something like that who was in the, from the same town mm -hmm. as my great-grandfather, had the same last name, worked as a coal miner just like my great-grandfather did, and then retired from that and got into politics and ended up a really well-known politician. That is, um, I think that whole ancestry thing is, is really, really cool. I don't think we realize... Or we don't put a lot of thought into, I think, where we come from, mm -hmm. like, lineage-wise. I mean, sometimes I think about that, and I'm like, you know, I'll be sitting there, my wife will be talking, we'll be looking at our kids playing, and there are times I wonder, like, four generations from now, is anybody even going to give a shit about me and my wife? Never right. mind, in fact, there are going to be dozens of people who potentially come from us, from our kids moving on and having kids and their kids having kids, and eventually it's like, and you get to that point, my father, um, who has his PhD in history, has a fairly extensive family record genealogy wise of the Finch side. Uh, the Miller side of my mom's side, a lot of it's just kind of like hearsay. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, yeah, there was a story about great grandma so-and-so, and prior to that, it's it's just like disappears into the mist. Yeah. You know, there are times you kind of wonder if there isn't somebody like hanging out somewhere doing something really crazy, and you're like, wow, that's like, we're like related, you know? So that's really, <laughs> really cool you did that. Yeah. Um, gosh. I ended up uh, with the ancestor with, uh, with Lada and Frederick, Am I going through? I just want to yeah, you're fine. <laughs> um, I ended up. We have a common ancestor. It's uh, it's man's daughter. What happened was, is I correlated with what she did. She only did the two week trial, but she got far enough back to where I could correlate hers with my tree. And our family got separated about what was it, three hundred sixty years ago. 
could because Sweden was trying to colonize America just like all the other European nations, right. like you know England, France, uh, the Dutch, all of them. Well, they the the uh, the Swedes pretty much tried to colonize the Delaware, New Jersey area, and. I don't know for sure. If, I don't know if they got pushed out by the Dutch or they just couldn't afford it anymore. Well, they gave right. up all their land to the Dutch. And Olaf Mann's daughter is uh, my ancestor that came over on the second expedition. He was a soldier. Um, basically, when they all got over here, they gave them the choice. Oh, you, you can come back with their stay. Well, at that point in their history, they had nothing over there. They were pretty much like serfs. Yeah. They had no religious freedom. They had to, you know, they're, they're Protestant, you know, just like what England is. You know, the, the head of the church is the crown. Right. And they, he, he's, he had a, a sawmill, everything he stayed. Well, he had a, the sister, which is their ancestor, stayed back, and he tried to get her to come over. Well, I think she died young. Uh, and the the father skipped town so his parents had to take care of him and then that's how we got separated oh okay so i mean it's pretty interesting and, and what the thing with most of these ancestry sites i don't use just ancestry.com there's jenny.com g-e-n-i they're basically a dutch um ancestry sharing site it's free um they have some of the most extensive genealogical records in the world mm -hmm. I've correlated with that it's basically people are just sharing their stories and you find out some of these stories through people that you're related to through the same ancestor and somehow you know that that, that story got sent down the line but you know we're like a tree everything branches out and then you know people forget it and right. it's, it moves on with time yeah you know? wow that's that was one of the things because like, I'm pretty sure you're a fan that was one of the things I always that was I think the most fascinating about like the Assassin's Creed games. Oh yeah, it's dealing with dealing with like can you imagine like finding out like you had an ancestor like four hundred years ago who, you know, fought in the Battle of Stirling Bridge or something like that, and you're like, holy shit! Did you imagine if the Animus actually existed? That would be dope, man. I'd, li I'd live in that. Thing, <laughs> I would man. die in that thing. I would die of malnutrition <laughs> in that thing to be able to just basically lay down in a thing and get hooked up to a computer and relive all the memories of your ancestors. Some of it I probably wouldn't want to wouldn't want to um i'm sure some of it gets pretty darn boring yeah the bizarre thing is is um my it was we kind of had this like lost family member and that my grandfather my great-grandfather henry francis finch after he fought and after world war one um him and his wife came to the united states and having been a coal miner um in wales it was kind of one of those things when they got to america it was sort of like I'm a coal miner by trade. Where do I go? And it was like, well, head west, head west, head west. And he ended up in, you know, down by central Illinois where all the coal mines were active back then. Yeah. Um, he brought along with him his brother who from World War One, had what at the time they called shell shock. Today we call it PTSD. Yeah. And it was pretty severe. Um, and then one day he just kind of, you know, he was living with his brother and his wife. And, and then one day he just ran away, just like disappeared. And it was probably go forward about 20 years or so. And my grandfather, who at the time was in his early 20s and was working as a trucker, saw was almost 90% sure he saw him as a hobo um, underneath an overpass. And he wow. called his name out to him, went to walk over to him. The guy got up and ran away and was never seen again. Jeez. And to this day, it's kind of the mystery with the family as to where this guy went. Where I mean, who knows? He could have gone to you know California and started a whole new life. He Who knows? Yeah. He could have died in a swamp in southern illinois nobody knows just kind of vanished into thin air um yeah that is that is such bizarre stuff and when you think about it you think about population wise 
that everybody, everybody for how many, I don't know how many billions of people are on the planet now, probably too many, but, um, <laughs> and yet we all come from a, probably a very, very small tribe coming out of Africa or something, you know, hundreds yeah. of thousands, if not millions of years ago. So in some way, shape or form, we're all connected. Well, there was a, it, it was some scientific, uh, article I read and, you know, you know, in most creation stories, they say everybody came from these two people mm-hmm. and most animals came from the same two. And this group of, I don't know if you read it, I got, if, if I could find it, I'll try to share it with you. Okay. They were, these scientists were trying, were doing genealogical research and they kept coming back to the same conclusion that all humans came from same two male, one male, one female. They tried to disprove it, tried to disprove it, and they found out that it was true. And then they started doing it on animals, like different animals, and they found out the same thing. Hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's pretty interesting. I mean, all these myth stories, you know, creationist stories. Right, yeah. I mean, even the scientists are looking back and it says the data is like, holy cow, we can't, we're trying to disprove this, but it keeps coming back to the same conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes you wonder what the hell's going on with that. That's, that's such bizarre stuff. Um, and it's so weird. And I, I always wondered about that. Um, I don't know if you ever hear, this is an interesting story, and there's these swamps in Maryland where this one species of deer exists called a sick deer. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. No. It's pretty bizarre. They were gifted um, to an Irish lord, I want to say, back in, we want to talk like the late 1600s or something like that, and and it's a kind of a deer that originates in Asia, and it was from some Asian prince gave it to this like Irish guy rich guy who had an estate down there mm-hmm. and all they got was one male and one female that was it today there's a thriving population of them within this one swamp they only exist in this one geological just one geographic area people love to go down there and hunt them and for an entire what would you say population of a, of a species that exists from just one male and one female they are insanely healthy like it's incredible they are incredibly free of disease they're like one of the few animals you can kill and pretty much eat their meat raw because they carry like nothing they're not a carrier for anything and typically we understand that obviously if a brother and a sister were dropped on an island and started having kids you have a high probability of having a lot of issues right you know a lot of um because the genes just are screwing with each other and i don't mean that as a pun but um (laughs) you know things get really really crazy but wow that's yeah if you find that send that to me that's that that sounds really interesting yeah that's crazy. Uh, I never even heard of that story. You said that's in Maryland? Yeah, it's in Maryland, in the swamps of Maryland. I had heard about it before, but um, one of my favorite TV shows that's on Netflix is called Meat Eater, which is a hunting show. And in mm-hmm. the most recent season they came out, they had a two-episode set where they were in Maryland hunting for those. And it's interesting. Those of us in the Midwest, when we think deer, we think like a giant like buck. Yeah. You know, a big, like 10, 12-point buck. And their full size, like a full size buck of this kind of deer, maybe weighs 20, 25 pounds. Wow. Like, like you could grab the whole thing and drape it over your shoulder and just walk away like it's nothing. But when you think they come from Asia, yeah. you know, they're used to being in jungles and running and getting away from tigers and, you know, that's right. the whole. And that's kind of like the, the deer in the south. The deer yeah. in the south are much smaller than the ones up here up north. Right. And I don't remember the name of the deer, but there's a kind of deer like that in England too. And they're such a nuisance. They don't even have a hunting season on them or a bag limit. Like, kill these fuckers. <laughs> like, they're just, they're, ever, they're the size of like medium sized dogs, and apparently they just tear up crops. And I, I can't remember the name. They have some kind of weird Russian name. So I don't know if they were like trans, like, you know how these things happen. Somebody brings one along and it gets right. out, and before you know it, you got a problem. Kind of like we do here with the Asian beetles and, yeah. you know, that kind of crap. But um, so switching topics, have you seen the most recent Star Wars? The uh, Rise, Rise of Skywalker. No, I haven't, and I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, 
I cheated myself and read the plot on it. Oh, okay. Which it doesn't bother me. I wanted to know what the story was. Right. So I get the gist of it. Okay. That's um it corrects me. I, I, I don't know if I'm in the minority here. I thought it was good. You know, a lot of people you know how it is, dude. We're like yeah. especially in sci fi culture, we're stuck in this like like toxic fandom where everybody freaks out over every I little can't thing. Stand that. Oh, it drives me insane. They did the same thing with uh, you know, Batman and Super versus Superman. Yeah. I actually liked that. I love that movie. And and I thought that Henry uh Cavill played played Superman great. I yeah. thought that uh what's his name played Batman? Uh, ben Affleck. Yeah, I thought he was great at it too. Yeah, people I got, so too. All, got all pissed off about it. And I'm like, why you know, why? Yeah. The problem is that I think oh yeah, she's what you think. I think with like Star Wars and with like Batman and Superman, it's so iconic that everybody brings their own shit into it. Mm-hmm. They bring their own expectations and baggage, and then when it doesn't live up to what they want, they freak out. I love the Henry Cavill Man of Steel. Oh, because, that, absolutely. Because I looked at that movie and I said, if Superman, if the Superman story were to start today, that's what the that's would be what it would be like. But exactly. you know, I don't I don't know how Marvel got away with it so well with Captain America because. I mean, they did an excellent job, and there wasn't any real fan blowback out of it. But anytime you bring Superman or Batman into anything, it's just or Star Wars, like we started. Yeah, you know, people just freak the hell out. <clears throat> well, it's sort of like the mindset of um, people want something new, and then when it's too new, they get mad that it ruined what it was. But exactly. if you knew what it was, then they say you're not taking any chances. You're just doing the same thing over and over again. Um, I thought it was good. I, th- I thought the most recent trilogy, I thought, okay, like it advanced the story, took characters in new places. We got mm-hmm. a lot of stuff revealed. And I think it was J.J. Abrams who was even saying, you know, he was commenting about the toxic fandom and what a you know issue it is. And, you know, you can't be scared of that. And I think there's a certain level of that. George Lucas didn't give a shit. No, and he's the one who created it. He didn't give a shit at all. I mean, you've seen episode one, The Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. Like a half hour into that, he just punches you right in the dick. Metachlorines. Bam! Yeah. Don't care. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to like any of this. So Yeah. Well, uh, you've seen The Mandalorian then, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. That's man. so good. It is that. Ugh. Was it John Favreau? Yeah. And that, that guy did an awesome job with the Marvel Universe, and now he, they got... They, I think maybe they should have had him just do the whole new Star Wars trilogy. They, they should have, because it's almost like... I mean, he's already got this reputation. Like, I want to say the mo- first movie he ever directed was Elf. Yeah. Which was, like, one of the greatest <laughs> now-considered Christmas comedies of all time. Right. Um, then he says, you know what? I've never done an action movie before. He does the first Iron Man, kickstarts the whole MCU, and then he says, you know what? I want to do Star Wars and creates the biggest television show on TV. I'm, I'm just, I, I, you know, I, I don't, you know, if you've played the old, the games, the Old Republic. No, not really. They're starting, a, the, you know, an old RPG series came out in the early 2000s. Um, the storyline's actually set, like, I think 3,000 years before the time yeah, of uh, the, I remember uh, that. Um, the Phantom Menace. And uh, the, the, with the Mandalorian, they're, they, they're, they're tying in a lot of the stuff from the Old Republic into this. Like, uh... The Mandalorian, his armor, that silver armor, the Beskar. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Mandalorians were like uh, they were tribes. They were they, they were kind of like fighting factions. You know, kind of like what uh, Greece was and how right. the Viking civilizations were. Mm-hmm. Well, there was one that brought all of them together. His name was the Mandalore. He was the one. He was the chieftain that brought all of them together, and they became like a, an empire. Well, they ended up. I don't know if you've seen in the part of uh, the Mandalorian where uh, the armor, the female, you know, Mandalorian. She tells him at one time the Mandalorians were great and fought against a, a, a race of sorcerers, which was, they were Jedi. Yeah. And that was the Republic. So the Republic ended up beating 
um, the Mandalorians and scattering them all over the place. Okay. So, and then if you see at the end, what was his, uh, Moff Gideon, when he, he starts cutting out of the, uh, the TIE fighter. Yeah. It's, that was a vibro sword. They right. used those. They, they, were the, they were the only weapons that they could use to fight Jedi with non-force users. Yeah. So I was like, man, I, now they're, they're confirming they're going to make a movie on the Old Republic. So and that, they're going to make a trilogy on that. That could be really good. I think that's where, sort of like, I felt that way with Rogue One and with The Mandalorian, is that the best success you're going to have in the Star Wars universe making stuff is make offshoots. Right. Because if you deal with stuff with the main characters, everybody's going to get pissed. But, like, The Mandalorian, it was great because you got an original story that still had that Star Wars feel to it. You know, and, of course, everybody knows who Boba Fett is. Right. And that was kind of like, I don't know, this is a really crazy story. Well, they, they they go into that because I, I've never watched the cartoons like the Clone Wars or stuff like that, but I started kind of reading stuff on Reddit about that. And in The Mandalorian, they say that they cannot take their helmet off in front of somebody else or they're no longer a Mandalorian. Well, right. you see Boba Fett and Jango Fett did it all the time. Right. And they were talking, I guess there was a point, I think it was in the Clone Wars, where they were talking about how the, the that Jango Fett was not a true Mandalorian. Right. He was play acting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the the bizarre thing is, is there's a British author who's a science fiction writer, and she got into it. She was, um, originally she came up in her career as a war journalist. Okay. And so you're talking about a woman who really understands, spent a lot of time uh, with soldiers, around soldiers, really understands a soldier's mindset. And so in her writing sci-fi fiction, she writes a lot of military sci-fi fiction. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really good stuff. And she did a lot of offshoot stuff. Like she wrote a couple of um, Gears of War novels. She wrote a couple Halo novels. But she was awesome. Yeah. She was involved with writing a couple um, Star Wars books. And what they did is they had this series of books coming out called Legacy of the Force, which takes place 30 years after Return of the Jedi. And, of course, forget everything from the movies because mm-hmm. the story is completely different. I want to say these books came out 10-plus years ago. Um, and well, what they did is they got three authors together that they were going to write this series. So every author was going to write every third book. That way, every year, they could come out with a new book in the series. And all it was a nine-book series. But she was given the job of writing about Mandalore and about the history of Mandaloria. And... She was given, because apparently at the time, LucasArts had like this whole editorial staff. Like their whole job was to make sure everything meshed amongst all the media. Mm-hmm. And so she was told, we don't have anything definitive that's ever been canon about the Mandalorian history. So she was given full carte blanche to write whatever she wanted. And the the crux of the whole story is, is that, and of course it's different from the movies, is that the solos, you know, Han and Leia, had two daughters, Jason and Jaden. Yep, I've were, read those mom Okay. Who are brother and sister, and he goes to the dark side. And she knows she's going to have to go take him down, but she can't just show up and take him down because they both grew up fighting the same way. Right. So she decides, okay, i got to learn a different fighting style. So she goes to Mandaloria, or Mandalore, to learn how they fight. And it was really interesting. So she wrote this entire backstory about it's this planet, and everybody who lives there, and it's very, very tribal. Mm-hmm. Um, the leader, the Mandalore, at this time was Boba Fett. But it wasn't like he was a king. Like, he lived in a hut up on the hills, and the only time he was ever bothered is if there was a dispute. Other than that, things kind of, I mean, it was kind of like Klingon-ish. People just sort of took care of shit themselves. They yeah. typically shot each other in the face if it came to a head. But she got really, really angry because they had promised her, like, oh, yeah, this will be canon, this will be canon, this will be canon. And then when the Clone Wars TV show happened, they decided to do an episode that dealt with the bounty hunters and the Mandalorians. And what they did is that Mandalore was a planet a lot like Naboo. And they had a moon where these savage fighters lived who would come down and raid them and were basically bad guys. And she got extremely pissed because she's like, I put years of work into writing all this backstory. And basically for a cartoon, you took a giant crap on it. 
and just said none of this even none of this even matters anymore. I'm wondering when you say that I didn't even know that. I'm wondering if uh, Bioware, that's the company that made the uh, Old Republic series. Yeah. I wonder if they got that from her because that's exactly the way they told the story in the Old Republic. Which could have been. I mean, if they're if that's all supposed to be canon and everything's supposed to mesh well together, then that would make total sense that she writes the history and they decide to make the video games. They're like, okay, well, we need to talk about Mandalorian. Well, according to this book. According to canon, this is their history. So, but she got really PO'd and said she'd never ever ever write for Star Wars again because of that. So, when I was the whole time I was watching the season of The Mandalorian, I kind of wondered how much it was gonna. Of course, that you know, obviously it diverges because obviously they're already talking like during the Clone Wars, Mandalore pretty much got destroyed and they all had to scatter into the wind. And but then again, yeah, the Mandalorian it could fit into that canon because this is still taking place a good thirty years before the story I read. Yeah, so. and and uh, I can't remember what they said his name was in the show. And they finally revealed the Mandalorian's name. But I'll just call him Mandalore. Right. That you know he's not. They they even explain that Mandalorians aren't a race. Right. Like, it's it's a creed. It's yeah. it's a warrior's creed. Mm-hmm. And you know he wasn't from Mandalore. He, from his flashbacks, he was getting attacked by the Empire. Then you know the Mandalorians show up and start kicking ass right. and taking jacking out. everybody up. And it looked like they were using the old uh, droids from. Um, yeah, the Trade Federation. You yeah, know, those combat droids. Yeah, yeah, it was those battle droids that showed up and started. Merc and everything, and the Mandalorians came in and said, Yeah, Hella. yeah, I that's what I'm really hoping for season two is they get into more back history of that because it got you know, well, they confirmed too that they're, they're gonna put some uh main characters from the Star Wars trilogies in this. I okay, know maybe uh Lando Calrissian will show up, or they're, <laughs> they're saying maybe Darth Maul, you know. In the, sh- in the in the cartoons, Darth Maul came back. The yeah. lower half of him's gone, and he's got like spiders, you know, mechanical spider legs, and all this stuff. And it's, I don't know if they should have made that in the can in those two shows. Yeah, well, I get the gut feeling that they're sort of disregarding a lot of it because um, everything that was in the Clone Wars TV show in terms of the Mandalorian was completely ignored when they made the Mandalorian the TV show on Netflix. Right. Or, I mean, on Disney Plus because it doesn't follow any of that at all. I was that was probably the one character I have to say out of the entire all the Star Wars movies I was sad that died was Darth Maul because I'm like dude we should have had him around for at least three movies right he was such a badass yeah I mean he was just and I get the fact that it fit uh, you know and you look at the original trilogy like in terms of who the Emperor wanted as his apprentice Darth Maul fit first because he was just a pit bull he was just a, an attack dog mm-hmm. you, you know he wasn't going to be conniving or sabotaging it was just. He was just an animal that got let off the chain and could go jack everything up. And then when it moves further along, yeah, you kind of need Count Doku to go all along and yeah. schmooze people and convince people to do stuff. But, yeah, that and I'm hoping it sounds like because Disney Plus is making an Obi-Wan Kenobi show. Really? Yeah. that's And Ewan McGregor's confirmed to come back for that. And it's going to be about his time on Tatooine after he dropped Luke off. Okay. And in the canon, and how much they follow that, I don't know, that Darth Maul came back after him looking for revenge. So that could be a big part of. I'm hoping that's a big part. Of, I just hope they forget that stupid spider leg bullshit. Yeah, that was just stupid. I can see them using, you know, like how they replaced Luke's arm and even uh, Darth Vader's arm. Right. How they replaced that. I mean, I can see them doing that, but doing that ridiculous, you know, uh, mechanical spider leg thing. Right. Know, how's he going to get around? How's he going to use? How's he going to fly a starship? I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it looking like the Rock from what was it, The Mummy Returns? Yeah. Oh, yeah right. He's like that scorpion thing. It's like, come on, give me a break, poor Rock. Right. That's um have you played the the newest video game? Was it the 
the new Jedi one. Yeah, I actually got it. I didn't, man, I, my, my problem is with video games, I'll get a bunch of them. I'll play them like intermittently here and there, and then yeah. I end up getting Call of Duty and playing multiplayer on that. But yeah, I played a little bit of it. I haven't gotten too far into it. We're on the but same it, boat then. Yeah. How far did I get? I think I got to the second planet. I'm still there. Oh, okay. But I'm playing it on the hardest difficulty. I don't know if you ever played Dark Souls or anything like no, that. No, uh-uh. Man, it's an unforgiving game, man. I mean, yeah. And as soon as you say, you know, and as soon as you save, all the enemies respond. So you got to go through it over and yeah. over and over again. But yeah. I got, I got, I got to continue to start playing that game because is that's going to be canon then, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah, because I, I know they have what's the guy, uh, Forrest Whitaker, the character he played in Rogue One. He's actually in this game. Oh yeah, he was in the Clone Wars TV show too. Um, God, why can't I remember his name? Saul Guerrero. Yeah, yeah, that's who he was. Yeah, yeah, that's um, and it's it's, it's an interesting storyline. I mean, I'm just slightly further than you. I'm not like deep into it, deep into it, but storyline wise, you can kind of understand like this Padawan who got away. Yeah, and I, I the the aspect of Star Wars I like what they're delving into is like the old ancient ancient civilizations yeah. that first started using the Force, and I can't remember the the alien race that's in there. They were a massive empire and they crumbled, mm-hmm. and that's actually in uh, the Old Republic too. That they had this, they created, they ended up destroying themselves by using the Force too much, and they created Force giant Force weapons like the Death Star, but it used the Force, and they ended uh, up killing themselves off. Yeah. But they were, it sounds, you know, I mean, in, what is it, uh, The Last Jedi, Luke was talking about that he was tired of being a, he, he was tired of being a Jedi, mm-hmm. and he he wanted to destroy the records that they kept, and even uh, Yoda's force ghost came back, and he was going to destroy it, so Yoda, you know, snaps his fingers and lights it on fire. And it looks like that what they're trying to do with the Jedi, the, the Jedi is the true way to bring balance to the force is not, you know, you got light side and you, you got to be good. You can't do it. You can't, they couldn't even get married. Right. Then, you know, the Sith, they're all about like live life how you want and do stuff like that. And it's mm-hmm. even, I, I know you're well-versed in religions like Buddha. Right. Buddha was, a, he believed that the perfect way to live was like living a, the, the gray line. You mm-hmm. couldn't do, you couldn't be so kind and perfect and do everything for everybody. And it, how, do, how did he say? It's, it's like playing a guitar. One guitar string, if it's too loose, it makes a weird sound. If it's yeah. too tight, it's like it makes a distorted sound. Mm-hmm. And it has to be that perfect pitch. And I think that's the way the Jedi should be, and I hope they go along that as creating the gray Jedi. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's you know what, what they're trying to delve in with that ancient... I can't remember the name of the, the empire it was, but they, they split into two factions. So, and that's where I think where the Sith and the Jedi came from, too, was that... I got the collector's edition of Old Republic when it came out as a MMO. Okay. It came out with this came with this cool book with the backstory of everything. And it talked how it came about was that there was a group of scientists trying to find this force that binds life together. Well, they ended up finding out that midichlorians created this energy and they ended up finding out that you could use that energy to do what, you know, do, you know, move things with your mind, do stuff like that. Well, they they started disagreeing with each other. There was one group of scientists said, you know, we should freely give out this knowledge that everybody know. And then there was the other ones that saying that not everybody can, if they have this responsibility, they won't, they won't do it for the right reason. So then they ended up started splitting apart, and it was called the Force Wars. Okay. And they ended up fighting each other. The Je- the the, uh, the scientists that were be- to become the Jedi ended up winning, and the ones that became the Sith scattered. They left. Well, they found this planet called Korriban, and there was an actual race called the Sith. They were like a red-skinned... Yeah, race. I remember something about this. Well, their whole the 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 the, <clears throat> the Sith, not the race, but the ideology, the Dark Jedi, 
took their way of life is and put it on their own is that you know the strongest survive and they would always they they found it acceptable to kill off their leaders because they thought they would be weak and then the strongest would end up mm -hmm. becoming leader but i mean ultimately their, their civilization crumbled and it was like you know the sith this is what their problem would be they'd overtake the republic the jedi then they'd start fighting each other over power killing each other off jedi would or the republic would come back beat them off and they'd go hiding again and a thousand years they'd come back yeah so, yeah that was i don't know if you ever read the um i remember years ago i read the darth bane book which is sort of the history of darth bane mm -hmm. um I'm trying to remember how far, and that's, that's, I don't know if it's exactly Old Republic, but you're talking, it's somewhere around a thousand years or so between, before like episode one started. Yeah, I've read some of those. And it was kind of like, he was, yeah, you know, anybody who's going to be a really, really strong Sith Lord has got a tragic backstory. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've already got to go into this thing with a shit ton of anger and angst. And, and at the time, the Sith were at war with the Jedi, and, you know, the Sith was like a full order. And he ended up figuring out, and he had traveled to that planet and had read a whole bunch of old Sith texts, and he eventually figured out, he said, the problem with the Sith is, with all of us cooperating, it basically nerfs our power, because at some level, we're just not selfish. At some level, you're not giving it your full anger, which is where our strength comes from. And so he's the one who goes like ape shit and kills all of the Sith. And I mean, every last single one of them, and it finds like... Um, I want to say it's like a three-year-old little girl who's been abandoned by her parents and begins to raise her to be the apprentice. <laughs> and he's the one who started the rule of two. There will always only be two. Yeah. You know, one to have the power and one to. And he knew that when he found her. He's like, the whole point of this is I'm going to raise you and train you to the point where you're good enough to kill me. And then you're going to take an apprentice and it's going to continue on that path. Um, which, in a way, I guess, you know, makes sense. I just kind of wish we would, hadn't have done, like, the exact rule to it, because then they wouldn't have had to have killed Darth Maul at the end of episode one. Yeah. Because I really wish he had stuck around as a wreck to that. But, um, and that's the crazy thing. When we're talking about Star Wars as a whole. You're talking about a universe that could potentially have millions of years of history. Right. And our nine main movies focus on, like, 60 years of that. Yeah. And that's it. Like, the amount of places they could go with that TV show, movie-wise, I mean, God, it could go on forever. Yeah, and... If John Favreau's involved, it's <laughs> oh my god, that'd be perfect. Oh, it's good coffee. Um, what's next? What you been up to lately? Uh, not much. Working a lot. I actually had uh, this week off. It was nice. I had seven days off in a row. Is usually, that... usually I work tons of overtime. I needed this time away. From yeah, work, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know the way you feel. I think I got my first one of the year coming up in April, and I can't wait. It always seems like they're always too far away. You had to been busy, man. It's holiday season. Oh, oh my God. God it, it's so brutal. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like a normal day is a 10, 12 hour day. There's no way around it. It just is what it is, you know? Yeah. My wife was, uh, I don't know if you know, in Winnebago, they, the mail has been running seven days a week. Yeah. I went, when I was coming here today, the mailman was out delivering mail. I'm yeah. like, man, I've never seen that before. Yeah. They started that here too. Um, just like right before, I don't say right around Thanksgiving. And a lot of times like on Sundays, they're just doing packages, not the actual like door to door mail just yeah. to get the volume out because it's absolutely, it's absolutely insane. People who order stuff for Christmas and it's just part of our lives now. It's just the way you yeah. know, the world runs between Amazon and Target. And now Walmart's getting into the gig and trying to compete is that the logistics that are involved to get that shit everywhere is absolutely insane. But I'll be happy. I'll be happy when vacation comes because. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I guess we were talking about this a little, little bit before the podcast, but Iran, man, that's like the thing anybody's talking about. 
It was like we entered the new year, like, okay, 2020, and then by the second, Australia was on fire, and by the third, Iran's yeah. Yeah. So I've like, seen that meme a, a few hours ago. God. Uh, you know, the big thing is everybody's, you know, hashtag World War Three, and I don't, I don't even... I don't even know, man. I can't. I'm glad I'm out. You know, people ask me, well, would you go back? I'm like, man, you know, when, when I was over in Iraq, I was 23, 24 years old. And it makes a difference. It does. And I, I, you know, and a lot of my good friends that were in the war with me, you know, some of them, they had kids and a wife. I couldn't imagine leaving. You yeah. Know, I mean, my hat's off to them. They're stronger people than I am. They're like, oh, you want you gonna go back? You want to go back? I'm like, no. Um, you know, it was a, it was an experience. It was, you know, there was some very hard times. There was some great times. I made some of the uh, greatest friends in the world. You know, I still have friends that live in the Middle East. One of them, he's, uh, he was one of our interpreters. He, he was in the Kuwaiti army. He's uh, some executive for a company over there. I talked to him quite often you know he's you know they're worried you know yeah. they're in the middle of that all that stuff over there and i i don't know i don't know how you think but i mean the guy the guy was definitely a fuckhead you know he was definitely pardon my language but he was definitely an evil person yeah you shouldn't use the word head on my podcast <laughs> <laughs> but um you know the 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 reason that they link him with a lot of U.S. deaths is that, they, you know, it wasn't the IED. I mean, IEDs are deadly enough, but mm-hmm. it was him that came up with some type of formula idea to make these IEDs that could penetrate armor, like penetrate up-armored Humvees, you know. Okay. Penetrate, you know, I think possibly, you know, Abrams tank armor, stuff like mm-hmm. that. And they're very, very deadly. And I read a story about... You know, the Republican Guard has always been operating in Iraq since we went over there, especially mm-hmm. in the nor- in the north, because that's where the Shia live. You know, Iran is a, a Shia-dominated, you know, uh, government. Um, so they would be able to operate freely, move freely around there. And um, where was I going with this? He, you know, he he was. Res- there, I guess there was a, um, a captain, and he was part of like a civil affairs unit, and he was he was part of National Guard. And parts of uh, certain people in my, my company when I was over there would do this. They'd go into the villages, you know, do the hearts and minds thing, you know, provide medical, you know, bring doctors and provide medical care for the families and stuff like that. Well, some of these guys abducted him and some of his people and they killed him and tortured him. Mm. And I've seen stories that Iranians have written that, you know, when they'd have the protests over there, the massive protests, that he was the one responsible for quelling it, you know, taking these people of, you know, capturing these people by the thousands and then torturing them and mm-hmm. killing them, you know I mean? But on the same token, I mean, basically, this guy was the second most powerful man in Iran. Yeah. They were talking about that he could possibly be the one to take over to be the next president or when Khomeini dies, that he would be the next supreme leader. Okay. So, I mean, it's it was a big hit. Yeah. And... Well, it seems like on both sides, you're sort of like playing with fire. You know what I mean? Like if you're him and you're like, oh, yeah, we're going to develop these new kind of bombs to kill American troops mm-hmm. and not think that there was going to be any kind of retaliation. On the other hand, if you're the American, you're just going to kill a guy like that. You can't expect there not to be retaliation. Right. It's sort of like a damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, um, <clears throat> I'm not going to sit here and argue against, you know, the president's orders to take him out because I don't know the full backstory behind mm-hmm. it. And just like you said, it seemed to me like he was a total fuckhead and... You know, 
I'm not even going to say rest in peace, just goodbye. <laughs> right. you know? But um, on the other hand, it's kind of like you get yourself into this pickle. And it's kind of sad that, because um, I don't know if you've ever seen these, and you probably know more than I do about this, but it's like sometimes I'll see pictures of like, I ran from like the 1970s and you see women in dresses driving cars going to college and it was like it was way more not that I'm saying like Western society is the way to be but it was much more secular it was much more peaceful right you know before everything got taken over and now it's just like this crazy theocracy and you know and one of the things I find very weird and ironic is that you know I don't know how much you know about you know the Jews plight. You know, you ever heard? You've heard of Cyrus the Great. Yeah, he was the king of the. He was the one who made the Persian Empire the Persian Empire. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the Jews were the Israel was taken over by the Babylonians. Well, the Persian Empire came, destroyed the Babylonian Empire, and they freed the Jews, mm-hmm. let them go back, even take all their valuables, and let them rebuild the temple. And to this day, is you know, Jews and Israelis revere Cyrus the Great for what he did, mm-hmm. and Cyrus the Great was from Iran. Yeah, and it's just kind of ironic that the, the the first great ally that Israel had was the area where Iran is is now, yeah. and now you have you know they, it's death to Israel. Yeah, that's all they want to do is just nuke nuke Israel off the map. And oh, you want to talk? I've got a guy that I follow on social media. His name is Ali Rizvi. He lives in Canada. He was born in Saudi Arabia and his dad um, worked for a lot of the big oil companies. So he spent the majority of his formative years traveling all around the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And um, he currently lives in Canada. He's a musician. He's also a semi-activist. He wrote a book that ruffled a lot of feathers called The Atheist Muslim. He was raised Muslim, but he's an atheist now. And I thought it was really interesting. A couple of years ago, he had posted something. I want to say it was on Facebook where he basically said, when it comes to the West, specifically America, when it comes to the Middle East, you're basically damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like on one hand, if you just, you know, some would make the argument that, you know what, everybody just needs to sit back and let the Middle East figure their shit out. On the other hand, while you do that, bad shit could potentially happen. You know, this isn't the 1500s anymore where they're just going to charge horses at each other. Right. You know, you got forces at work that could turn into blowing up the World Trade Center, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, On the other hand, when you get involved, it's kind of like... You know, like you were saying before the podcast, is that getting involved in Iran isn't going to be like Iraq. It's going to be like the Korean War or Vietnam. It could end up one of these really long, especially when, you know, regardless of how they may feel about the leadership, I don't know what you think, but I kind of feel like the majority of the average Iranian person probably isn't going to be happy that we're there, regardless. No. You know, I don't know. There's, I mean, the the problem over there is that there's too many different people that want to be in power and too many people that have different beliefs and different ways you know i mean if you look at you go back and look at the crusades um saladin you know saladin right right yeah you know um to this day i mean when saladin allowed the after he took over jerusalem he let all the christians go back when the crusaders came in jerusalem they slaughtered everybody yeah they killed everyone mm-hmm. And Saladin was actually revered by Christians in Europe because of his chivalrous attitude towards innocence. Yeah. He wouldn't let innocent people be killed. He wouldn't let children be killed. I mean, he was a soldier. You know, when you're fighting a war, you got you got to kill the other guy. That's just the way it is. I know it's, you know, we, we you know, people that have never experienced it, you know, hate the other side. But they're fighting for their own belief, too. Right. But, um... There's, there's not, you know, Saladin, before Saladin came around, they were fighting each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were fighting each other. They didn't have any organization. Saladin was the one that actually united them 
and brought them together and stopped the fighting. And actually, it was not; it was his ideology that brought forth the Ottoman Empire. Okay, you know, the Ottoman Empire they allowed anybody to you know you know worship whatever they believed in. There mm-hmm. was no retribution for you doing being a Yazidi, being a Christian. You could freely worship what you wanted. Mm-hmm. And most people don't know that. I mean, it was the first caliphate. It was a a Muslim, It was an Islamic empire. You know, just as like what you know um, the Holy Roman Empire was. You know. They're Christian, but um, it's just there's no, you know, there, there's times in the Middle East, like I talked about, when, when Saladin united all them, you know, there was, that's when the sciences first started getting, you know, into Europe. You know, back yeah. then, people were, you know, very superstitious in Europe. You know, they thought they thought evil spirits <laughs> lived in water and they wouldn't take right. baths. Vapors were everywhere. and Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the first, when, when the Crusades happened is when it, that's basically what brought forth the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. You know, the sciences first started coming up. Oh, yeah. You know, it's astrology, you know, <laughs> astronomy, not astrology. <laughs> you, know, you know, the Middle East and the Far East, they, they were far beyond us mm-hmm. in that time frame. But as soon as the Crusades happened... Europe started getting a broader view of the world instead of you know they they you know they were peasants and they couldn't learn anything you know right. in the Far East that anybody could become anything but mm-hmm. when you were in Europe if you were born a peasant you were going to live that way and the rest of your prodigy was going to live that way that's all there was to it it was um <clears throat> it, it was so bizarre and personally one of the movies that I love it's not in my top five but probably at least in my top twenty is the movie three hundred. I just absolutely love that movie. Mainly because I just love the attitude behind it. But just like you were saying, I sort of crack up the depiction of the Persian Empire that are these like raging monsters <laughs> right. come in hordes and and in reality it's funny when you look at the time that like the the Black Plague was going on and in Europe, you've got bishops and stuff like that who insist on having like fires built all around yeah, them to keep, the the, keep the evil spirits away. <laughs> Meantime, in in Persia, current Iran, they're like tracking star movements and you know figuring out like, oh, if we take this piece of glass and shave it in this angle, we can create a lens out of it. And you know, they were like the the technological difference between the two. European, this those of us who are of European descent tend to like look back on Europe as like the great Europe where all the great shit came from, and it's really not true. No. They're really good at ganking a lot of that shit and being like, you know what, that's pretty cool. We're gonna say it's ours, you know? yeah. Here yeah. you go, Alexander Newton, figure it out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and 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 even after that, you know, you had uh, the Inquisition that was going around, and was it Galileo had to you know had to hide? Oh yeah, because uh, you know the anything he yeah, yeah had to hide because of you know he was studying the stars and the planets and. They thought he was doing witchcraft. He made the mistake of saying that the earth revolved around the sun and not the other way around, which was blasphemy. Exactly. You can't say that. Come on. <laughs> well, then the church starts, you know, getting smart about this and saying, hey, you know, you know, it was almost like how Christianity got the pagans yeah. into, you know, getting into Christianity. You know, like the Germanic tribes, you know, with the Christmas tree. You know, they they believe that spirits lived they, they believe that the trees were spiritual. They didn't worship the trees, but they revered them. So then they started saying, oh, you know, this this is the reason why is because God, you know, the Holy Spirit lives in the tree or whatever right. like that. And, you know, <laughs> they started gimmicking people and they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, okay, so that's how they gimmick people into Christianity. I'm not, I'm not downing Christianity, don't get me wrong. Right. But, I mean, I think Christianity has done a lot of good things. It's done some bad things, but I think for the most part it's done good. I don't think, um, I don't believe that, Christianity in and of itself is evil. I don't believe that at all. No. I think what's evil is the mindset of 
and you see this throughout world history is that anytime you have a civilization or a society or a culture they get so involved in their religion that they throw common sense out the window I mean, it's the exact same thing <coughs> excuse me like we were talking that's the reason why iran is the way it is today and the way versus the way it was 40 50 years ago is because the more and more they were having contact with the west the more this like uber religious conservative fervor began to take over the country and before you know it, it's just now it's just, I mean, I don't want to say shithole, but I mean, compared to what your average Iranian from birth to death kind of life they can live now versus what they could have lived in the 60s and 70s is completely different. I think you see that just like you were saying in the Inquisition. Once they got to the point, like, you know, I, I personally don't care if you want to be Christian, if you want to be Muslim or you want to be Jewish, that's fine. You know, just don't be a dick. That's all I care about. But I think you see that frequently throughout history. I mean, gosh, it almost happened. It's almost how the Roman Empire collapsed. Right. As Christianity began to take over, and it wasn't a matter of Christianity being bad, but it was the fact that the religion aspect of it was beginning to fracture the empire. And, and um, God, why can't I remember the emperor's name who decided to convert all of the Roman Empire over to, oh, over God. to Christianity? What's that? Oh, now I feel stupid because he's the one who was like held the Council of Nicaea and all that yeah, stuff. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I can't remember his name either. God. <laughs> I know it was a Constantine. Yeah, it was. It was, it was Constantine. Constantine. Yeah, it was yeah, ended up actually not getting baptized till he was on his deathbed, even though he proclaimed it the entire, which was a political decision because there were rioting going on in the streets and people were tearing down statues of, well, what we would call Mars and Athena or Zeus and Athena yeah. at the time they were called Mars and had, you know Jupiter. Yeah, all those different planet names. Um, have you ever read any of Joseph Campbell's stuff? I don't think I've ever heard. Oh, really? This So this is really, really fascinating. Joseph Campbell, who passed away a few years ago, but he was a mythology professor at USC. And one of the things that he specialized in was um, comparative mythology in terms of like common threads among mythologies from all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and how you see these reoccurring, like you would have cultures that would have had zero contact. And yet their origin stories and their myths have a lot of these same... You know, almost like like in a way it fits a human emotional need for the way we look at heroes and the way we look at villains and the way we look at life. The most interesting thing about that in terms of what we were talking about earlier is while he was a professor at USC, George Lucas took his class. And he ended up one of George Lucas's favorite professors, so much so that when George Lucas wrote the script for the very first Star Wars movie, he gave it to Joseph Campbell to read. And to this day, George Lucas swears that that has a lot to do with um, the success of Star Wars because it has those common mythology threads like, you know, the sins of the father. And, you know, you see like with the whole Luke Skywalker, you see the farmer boy from nowhere. You see the, yeah. you know, the sword and the stone and all these common threads that, you know, in the the mythical thing that we can't quite put our finger on, but we know is there guiding something somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote a book, um, I'll have to loan you sometime if I can find it, called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which was basically about comparing hero stories, whether it's King Arthur, whether it's Hercules, whether it's you know some from African or Asian cultures that always had these common threads of where they came from and the trials that they had to go through. And um, God, even what's his name, the Greek one. Um the, the Odyssey. Oh, uh, or, Odysseus? Yeah, Odysseus, yeah. And how you see a lot of those common threads. And for some reason, it's just, it's like, it fits some kind of thing that what we like to see in our heroes and what we like to, you know. we And we see that all the time. I think it's funny. I was thinking, about, I don't know why. I don't know why I was thinking about Twilight the other day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ah, sparkly vampires. Yeah, that's exactly it. But when you look at that story, you see the same common thread where you see the average, everyday teenage girl, nobody special. It doesn't even say in the books, I think, that she's like 
super hot or anything, but all of a sudden for some reason ends up extremely special. Yeah. And everybody relates to that. Everybody wants to be that because, you know, they're nobody from nowhere. And all of a sudden, you know, it's the same thing with Rey in Star Wars and Luke Skywalker. And before that, right. Anakin, you know, they come from nowhere and all of a sudden they're a major player in all these events and the entire universe is revolving around them. And you see that repeatedly throughout human culture yeah. you know, over and over and over again. Um I always wonder about that if we're going to get to the point where like 2,000 years from now people are sitting down doing a podcast about that weird Star Wars culture that those <laughs> <laughs> those who lived in the now forgotten American Empire, if they would even call it right. that, you know, has since been destroyed. But yeah. um, God, it's weird to think that far in the future to see what will happen. It's a little scary. I mean, you look at, and I, you've, you've played the Assassin's Creed games, you've played uh, Origins. Yeah. You know, and I didn't even realize this. The time from the old kingdom of ancient Egypt to the time when it was the new kingdom with like Cleopatra and you know Mark Anthony, more time passed between those yeah. two ages than our time now to the old yeah. the new kingdom. And how it was—it's crazy how much time passed. We are, yeah, you're right. We are closer to Cleopatra in time than Cleopatra was to the building of the pyramids. Exactly. And it's and there was even something like that I remember hearing where we are closer in time to the T-Rex than the T-Rex was to the Brontosaurus. Like, wow. th that's literally how much, because you want to talk about, and I remember I was reading this book by Bill Nye, and he was talking about, um, I remember, like, chapter one of his book, he was talking about the history of the Earth. And he was saying, if you were to take the entire history of the Earth and stretch it from Los Angeles to Boston and began walking from Los Angeles, you would get to the Rocky Mountains before the first plants even began popping up. The age of the dinosaurs would have ended about eight inches from the shoreline in Boston. And human beings have been around for about a third of an inch before the water starts. Wow. So you talk about altogether human history. And even in that human history, you want to talk about, oh, God, even actual, like, cultural history. I mean, you're talking four or five, six thousand years ago. Yeah. And in our, especially as Americans, I think it's hilarious because to us in America, if something's a hundred years old, it's freaking ancient. <laughs> you go right. over to Europe and they're like, yeah, it's been laying there for a thousand years. Nobody right. even knows what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's when I was over in Europe, it was amazing. You know, the, the architecture that they still have from hundreds of years ago, you know, and stuff like that, you know, you know, and, and especially Rockford, I don't know if you're I mean, this was before we were even born, but the old courthouse, I've seen pictures of it. It yeah. was immaculately beautiful, beautiful yeah. architecture. And they tore that thing down and built the public yeah. safety building there. And just, it's just, and as Americans, we want to, we want to strive for the better. And, you know, we don't, you know, back in, you know, the, when was it the late 1800s when, you know, when they had uh, the World's Fair in Chicago, mm -hmm. that's where most of the architecture that we old architecture we see today was built from the white city when they developed the uh, world's fair yeah. they called it the, the city beautiful movement how they wanted to construct cities in this beautiful form instead of just having these houses spring up everywhere and built it looked like you know a mess they wanted to create cities in that style so then that's when you start seeing like you know you know downtown freeport you see these beautifully uh you know built and architectural buildings and now we get away from that we just build buildings and they have no 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 yeah. personality it's just them. there yeah it's funny it's a mirror image i'll have to show you because it was we went through the exact same thing in freeport the old courthouse that used to exist in freeport architecture was absolutely gorgeous and it got to the point where after so long they had figured out it was going to cost way more to renovate it than it was to just tear it down and build a new one and now we got this god-awful grayish brown box that just sits there and looks imposing and boring and 
And anybody to this day, anybody looks at Freeport, they see pictures of the old one. They go, "God, what it would it be like to have that?" You back? know, that, that building probably la lasted for a hundred some odd years. Mm -hmm. You know, these new buildings they built start crumbling within a matter of five years. Right. You know, yeah. With the concrete they use, it just starts crumbling. And you know, the, the, however they built it, because they built, they want to build them fast, especially government buildings. We got to get this thing built now. Now. Right. Yeah. So they build it as fast as they can, and there's going to be, you know, they skate around stuff. So then the, the thing starts crumbling, like, oh, we got to build a new building. It's outdated. Right. Yeah. I remember one of my favorite comedians, Louis C.K., did a bit about that in one of his stand-ups where he was talking about stuff like the Great Wall of China and the pyramids. <laughs> right. And how it is they were able to build stuff back then and what we do today. And he said, well, it was simple. Back then, you just threw human, human death and suffering at it until it was done. Right. <laughs> now we have unions, and <laughs> which I'm not arguing with. I'm well, in they, a union. They took, they took pride in their work. They knew yeah. they, 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 it was. And it's just like they try to say that the, the pyramids were built with slave labor. I, I don't agree with that. And they, they even have docu ancient documents they figured out that these people were tradesmen right that built it you're not going to just throw some per a slave that doesn't know what they're doing and i mean these things these things haven't moved in inches in the thousands of years yeah. that they've been built yeah i mean the only thing that's and i didn't really you know the outside facades of the, the pyramids look like glass in the sun oh absolutely they was imagine? polished granite and you know it started getting people started taking the granite off building their houses with it around right. the pyramid and it's just, you know, I couldn't imagine seeing those, those the pyramids when they were in the heyday. They said that it, it, you couldn't even look at it because the sun the would sun. shine off it. Yeah, that was just, and it, I always felt that way um, about, and I, I think Rome, I especially fell in love with Rome during Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Like, right. I just totally fell in love with that city, which seems weird to fall in love with the city of video game, but it was so well done, and you spent so much time in the city. But I was watching this documentary on the Pantheon, um, the building that's in Rome that's, the, you know, the front of it looks like Greek with the pillars, and it's a round building at the top. It's got the oculus. Yeah. They were doing, they still don't know to this day how they did it, but they've been able to figure out that the cement they used to build that to this day is still curing and still getting harder. It's not cracking. It's not crumbling. It's still every year that goes by, it's more firm than it was the year before, and they still yeah. don't know chemically how they did that. And yet today, and it's the same thing with, uh, the interesting thing is the reason why there are so many ruins in Rome today is not because of the fact that um, time has gone by. It's that after the Roman Empire collapsed, Rome turned into a ghost town. Right. And it wasn't until several hundred years later that people started coming back and people started going to these buildings and tearing blocks and stuff off to build their houses. So it's not like oh. some of those things are ruins because of time. They were built extremely firmly. It's just people came along and started exactly. wrecking them to build their own stuff. And I, I was in Italy when I I was in Italy for about twelve hours on a layover from coming back from home from Iraq and went out and went to see the Colosseum and man you got graffiti yeah sprayed all over it you know it's a it's a it's a shell but I mean you you hear the stories about how they could fill the the Colosseum up with water and have ship battles yeah and you could I want you go go down and it has all these compartments underneath yeah. it was it was a it was a true marvel of engineering and we look back at the ancients are and think that they were stupid you yeah, know they, they were not no <laughs> I mean they, they they were even saying that the Romans were conducting brain surgery on people yeah that was see I always I I remember um, when I was in college at NIU I had a medieval Russian history class. Um, and one of the things that we had to write in there, we had to write a, a uh, some paper about maps or living during that time. And I, I remember thinking to myself after taking this class and the amount of history classes that I took while I was in college because I was a history major, um, 
is that people who live in past times were not stupid. They were just fitted for the society and technological that they were in. You know, if you were to drop me right now back in time 500 years, I would be useless. I would be, the fact that I know how to use an iPhone or program my computer doesn't mean shit, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? I don't know how to, half the crap they did. I didn't right. know how to build a house. I didn't know how to like, how am I gonna deal with this in my crops that are going bad? How am I gonna, I don't know any right. of that stuff. I remember watching this thing about the pyramids and what they did for the base of the pyramids is they dug all the sand out all the way down to the bedrock and then cr carved a grid pattern in into the bedrock and then filled that with water. And then the bedrock around it, they shaved down to be even level with the water and then got all the water out and filled that in to be the base. That way they were sure it was perfectly level. And that's why even to this day, you've got a pyramid that's absolutely massive. And one corner is like no more than a quarter inch higher than the other. I mean, this was 4,000 years ago and they were like, oh, we got this. That's, that's, that's no problem. That, and that's crazy. It's just like, I, you know, I don't want to sound like the kooky conspiracy theorist, but maybe I will be. <laughs> But it's like, if you've seen, like, all around the world, there's different structures that look like, I mean, they, they're, what is it, Machu Picchu in Peru? <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the block? <laughs> yeah. It looks like it was cut with precision materials. It was, right. and they were talking about this was built in the era when Stonehenge was built. And, you know, Stone, you know, Stonehenge was rebuilt, what was it, 50, 60 years ago? Mm -hmm. It wasn't even, I mean, it's not what it was like a thousand years ago. They just right. picked up the stones and put them back together yeah. as far as they could. But, I mean... How do they? How do they make that? I mean, how? How? I'm wondering. At one time, were we much more advanced than we are now? And something happened. I, you know, you kind of wonder. And the crazy thing about Stonehenge is, is they figured out geologically speaking, the rocks that made those are from like 90 miles away in Wales. Yeah, in Ireland too. Yeah. And have you heard the legend how they ended up there? What was that? There was a war between the the humans and the giants. The humans won. Okay. So the humans made the giants carry the stones from Ireland and place them where they are at today. Oh, okay. So that that's what the I mean, I don't know the whole story with it, but that's the the Celtics beat the giants. And, okay. And that's one thing you look in a lot of myth, ancient human myths, is that there was giants at the time. You know, you look at with the Bible. Then the Bible doesn't go into it too much. But they said that there was the Nephilim, the sons of, you know, the sons of God and the the daughters of man. Yeah. And you know, I mean. And actually, have you you've seen the movie 2012, right? Yeah. This mm -hmm. kind of diverges a little bit. But there was a book written, when was it, the 50s? And the premise for that movie came with Pol Pol Shift and all this stuff came from this guy that wrote this book. The government confiscated it. Really? Put it on, um, made it classified up until a few years ago. They released it. It was like 60 pages. They only released 45 of it, and a lot of it's redacted. Oh. And he talked about, like... Every, I don't know, 20,000 years or something, you know, the pole shifts. So the, 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 uh, the, the crust on the earth shifts. And that doesn't, that not only causes cataclysms, but what that happens is, but the, the atmosphere is stationary. Mm -hmm. With the, the uh, crust of the earth moving, it causes disruptions in the atmosphere, which causes the winds to get up to like a thousand miles an hour. And he's, yeah. So the, it, it, as crazy as, as that sounds, why would the government take this book, classify it, for, I don't know, 50, 60 years and then redact a lot of the stuff. It's yeah. just crazy. Like, I don't know if you were trying to, you know, stop a pandemonium. You know, it's, it's like it's like today you have all these this fear mongering going on. People are scared to death that World War III is going to happen. If it happens, there's nothing that we can do about it. Right. I mean, we live in a constant fear in this society that mm -hmm. we do. And it's like there's one's conspiracy to the other. And it's just, you know, that's why, you know, I used to be stupid and I used to post political stuff. And now I'm just... 
tired of politics. I'm yeah. tired of this fighting. I'm tired of listening to it because all it is is fear mongering. Right. Well, I think, um, <clears throat> and I don't know if you, I think it was on the first podcast I was talking to Kevin about this because for this is as a side topic uh, for those of you listening, the funny thing about it is, is Chris and I went to high school together. And I don't remember us ever being especially close during high school. Like, we knew each other. It was Winnebago. Yeah. Everybody we were on the track everybody. team. Yeah, we were, on the, we were a wrestling team, too, weren't yeah. we? Uh, no, I didn't wrestle. Oh, football, though. Football, yes, yeah. and, and track. Yeah. yeah, I kept the bench warm. Um, no, whatever. But, um, no, it really wasn't until we, we mostly got to be friends via arguing on Facebook. Right. And going at each other. But the, the reason why it worked is because at no point in time was it personal. Never, no. no point I was like, listen, you cocksucker, you need to... Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was we were we were always arguing ideas. But I was talking to Kevin about this in the first podcast. Is I kind of got to the point where I'm like, I sort of had this revelation eventually that I'm like, you know what, you're you're getting yourself all worked up. You're mm-hmm. getting angry. At the end of the day, you're not changing anybody's minds because no. what's going to happen is you're going to post it. The people who agree with you are going to like it. The people who don't agree with you are going to tell you to fuck off. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I, I kind of felt like you know you're really probably causing more angst. You're you're causing more problems than you are doing good. And you're doing it to mostly to yourself. Right. Yeah. And that's, I that's came exactly to the same. Right. I I came to the same realization too. And it's just you no. Know, and you know, people like you, and there's other people that are on a different side. We we get along great. We can talk. We can talk. You know. And, and one that's the problem in this country. We're not getting anything done. Everybody no. wants to. You know. Everybody's got good ideas. Some people aren't going to shift from their idea. They're something you know. They're most important, but there's there's room to work, right. and that's what America was best at. Now I don't know what's going to happen in the future, man. It's just kind of it's kind of scary for our children. It is. Well, Shelby Foote said, who's a Civil War writer um, who since passed away, but I'll never forget something he said um, in the Ken Burns documentary about the Civil War, where he had said Americans like to think of themselves as uncompromising. In reality, it's our greatest strength. Mm-hmm. Our whole government's founded upon that principle. And the main reason we had the Civil War was because our failure to compromise. Of course, slavery had a lot to do with it, too. Right. But um, but I sort of feel that way, and we're sort of in this position now where both Republicans and Democrats, both leaders and both majority of supporters have just gotten to this point where they draw a line in the sand and they say, I'm not crossing this line. And it's like this tug-of-war where the rope never moves. And in the meantime, it's like we forget the whole purpose of the reason why our government exists, the whole reason why, as Abraham Lincoln said, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. The government's supposed to serve the people. Exactly. And make society better for everyone. And instead, all it is is, and that was part of the reason why I wanted to start doing the podcast, is I got to that realization where I'm like, you know, when it comes to social media, even though, you know, and it's got its pros and cons, it definitely does. Um, It connects us. But on the other hand, I got to the point where I feel like, especially when it comes to politics or society or anything that's going on, we don't talk anymore. We throw comments at each other. That's all we do. We, We feign outrage. We... You know, and I'm like, you know, what what we don't have in society more is long form discussions of people just sitting down because I, I guarantee you two people on Facebook who are literally ready to come to blows. If you gave them both a beer and had them sit down next to a campfire, they'd be best friends. By oh, the yeah. You know, yeah, especially, I firmly believe that, especially, you know, with common common interests like, you know, me and you we're into, you know, talking about history. We're into talking about games and Star and, Wars and, Star Wars and <laughs> all that other stuff, you know. People need, I think that's the best thing to do is be, people find something common that they're interested in and then it makes the topic of politics easier to talk about. Oh, yeah. Because you have a relate, you've already related with something over something else that's different than politics. Right. Well, and I sort of feel like um, 
the arguments aren't necessary because it doesn't matter who you are. If you're Republican or Democrat, the reason why you're passionate about what you're passionate about is both for the same reason, because you want what's best for the country. Mm -hmm. That's what everybody wants. I mean, unless we got moles out here who are like, I'm arguing this just because I want to destroy America from the inside. In reality, your biggest pro-Trump person in the world and your biggest pro... I'll just say Obama person in the world because I don't want to say Hillary. Um, <laughs> at the end of the day, they're arguing for the same reason. They want what's best for America. They just have different opinions as to how to get there. And I think as long as we keep in mind that we have that common interest that, that's there, that we want this, this, this country to be a good country, we want it to be a good place to live, we want something good to hand off to our children. Exactly. I think about that every day as our children are getting older. I'm like, <laughs> what's going to be like, you know, how many years from now when I'm on my deathbed and my, I've got grandkids and what kind of condition is this country going to be in that? You know, is it going to be on fire? Or is it going to be a utopia? Yeah. And, you know, I don't know how much you know about the time um, of, you know, it was bas- it was 1890s. Basically, when the Rockefellers and Carnegie's, J.P. Morgan's. And, uh, yeah, the big were, titans. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's amazing. When Have you ever seen a, a History ser- history Channel series of Many mm-hmm. Great America? Yeah, it was that a That is series. awesome. And it I'll is. get into a second. They made a second part to that that talked about, like, the frontiers. Oh, yeah, then. I haven't seen that one yet. I watched I it. To. Brilliant. I'll get into that here in a minute. Um, but these guys, you know, Rockefeller, uh, Vanderbilt, um, Carnegie came from very dirt poor. Yeah. They came from very poor families. Like Rockefeller, he his dad was like a snake oil salesman mm-hmm. and would leave for like months at a time, come back. <laughs> and Rockefeller, John Rockefeller would work. He would make cakes or something and sell them to help support his family. And his dad would come back, get drunk, take the money. And I can't verbatim remember what his father said, but he's like, you're going to learn someday, um, you know, to, you know, I'm going to take, I'm not taking from you because you don't know any better. Mm-hmm. But these guys, you know, with the money that they had back then, if it were equated to now, they would blow um, Bill Gates, you yeah. know, Bezos out of the water. It was insane. How much money they had. And back then, we're kind of living in that era now. Like with, you have... You know, the, the Rockefellers and them put a lot of money behind, who was it, McKinley that was running, was president, that became president at yeah. that time. There was another guy, he was, he was a second generation Irishman, and he was more or less like the Democrat, he was the Democratic candidate, and he was going around. And that's where all the politicians started doing like what they're doing now, where they go to Iowa and go around and campaign, was because, I can't, God, I wish I could remember his name, the Democratic one. He was going to different towns and talking to people, and that's when unions started becoming big. Yeah. And there was an incident at one of uh, Carnegie's uh, steel plants where, you know, back then they made these people work sixteen-hour days, seven days a week, oh, yeah. and they had they didn't care who got hurt. If they got didn't hurt, exist. they were done. They were done. Yeah. Well, some guy ended up get his arm cut off in one of these machines. They tried to save him, and he died. And that was kind of like the, the catalyst that the, they they ended up taking over one of uh, Carnegie's steel plants, mm. and. Carnegie hired this guy, can't remember his name, but he was he was a ruthless ass. Mm-hmm. And he went in there and he hired like 500 Pinkertons to go in and take over this plant. Well, the, the union members, they they um they gal they came together, they got weapons, they started fighting the Pinkertons. Mm-hmm. And it took the military to come in to stop them from fighting. But you know, we're kind of living in this day and age now. You know, you got and, and this goes along on the right. Or they want to destroy unions and don't get me wrong there's well, unions nowadays kind of are just taking people's dues and not really doing anything right. either mm-hmm. but i mean now nowadays they want to do this right to work stuff and you know yeah. and people don't realize that unions were the ones that created eight hour work days and that actually came from when chicago got the bid to become have the next world's fair 
so they start building the White City. Yeah. So they had these guys working 16 hours a day and every day to hurry up and get the city done. Well, they basically stopped and said, we're tired of this. Yeah. You're not paying us enough to do this. We can't even go home. That's where the whole eight-hour workday came from. Mm-hmm. It was because of sacrifices from people that were getting tired of being manipulated by people that didn't have to work that hard. You know, I mean, by the people that, you know, with the money. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I believe in capitalism. Right. But I mean, you got to pay the people. They're the ones making you rich. Right. And we're kind of living in that that time frame now because, you know, you got Antifa. Well, back then they had the anarchists. They were going around blowing stuff up, trying to assassinate. I think they assassinated McKinley. Yeah. But we're going, we're, we're, it's like history repeats. <clears throat> well, we're sort of in this thing right now that's happening. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't want to acknowledge it. But one of the things you've seen frequently throughout history, not just American history, but histories across the world, especially when it comes to, I, I loathe to use the word empire because that's implying that America is an empire. And granted, we have a lot of influence, but I don't think we're exactly an empire. Some would argue that. But um, one of the biggest things that we had then, which is what we have right now, is this absolutely massive income equality, where it's just the amount, and I'm not saying, just like you said, I'm 100% believer in capitalism, but the one thing that I've figured out about capitalism is capitalism exists to make money. Ergo, it doesn't give a shit. Capitalism doesn't have morals, which is why you have to have the government to kind of hopefully keep some reins on some things and get the reason why we have the laws just like you were saying of like a 40 hour work week and yeah and you know a five or 40 you know what i mean um and i was reading this thing recently that it was saying it used to be in like the 1950s and 1960s the ceo to worker wage discrepancy was 20 to 1 right and that was i mean that's understandable you know, because what would that be? If I'm making $10 an hour, that means the CEO is, what does that equate to? 20 to, you know, they're basically making $200. Right. And being a CEO, that makes sense. I mean, they worked hard to get where they are and had to make their own sacrifices, maybe. And so for a CEO to make more than that as worker makes total sense. The math on that today is 248 to 1. Yeah. And it's absolutely, and I'm not saying CEOs shouldn't get paid good money. No. You know, if, if I'm the chairman of a, of a company, I want to have the best CEO I can get to run that company. Ergo, that means that I have to compete with the other companies, which means I have to compete in how much I'm going to pay them, what their benefits package is going to be. So it's going to be up there. I mean, right. that's all. There's no company, you know, McDonald's isn't going to turn around and say, you know what, we've decided to turn a new leaf. We're paying our CEO $60,000 a year. That CEO is quitting before you finish the sentence. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so I understand that. On the other hand, that's where that's where I think you start getting a lot of these problems, just like you were saying, is that, um, you know, and then they and then they wonder why everybody in the country is broke well, all the time. Then they, they drive the company into ruin, and then they get a golden parachute, which they get, like, $100 million. Yeah. And they, then the government bails them out. Yeah, they get the government bailout. And I didn't believe in that. You know, I, I believe, I, I understand it may have caused some short-term ca- uh, some chaos. But, I mean, it's just like... If if the government got involved with the horse and buggy industry, because when the car the car was starting to come around, yeah, you know, like where we got to bail them out, they they hire too many people. Well, it's change, you know. Yeah. If you can't run your company properly and it goes into the crapper, that's, that's your own fault. That's capitalism, isn't it? Yep. You know, <laughs> but you know they they want us some you know, and I lean more to the right. I'm, I'm more libertarian, you know, uh, but I, I have right leaning views. I was raised a Democrat. Mm. I started kind of becoming more Republican during Obama's second term, and now I'm back to being a centrist. Okay. You know, I see, I've, 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 I, you know, I'm a lot 
wiser now, older, and I think that's what comes with it. I mean, you know, like most young people, like when I was young, I was more liberal. You know, I seen the world in a fixed view, and then I got older, and I, I start becoming that old crotchety guy, and I start thinking <laughs> stuff, and then it's now especially with this day and age i'm just tired of this fighting you know i'm tired i mean i think trump has done some good things for our country but i you know i think i mean i look at trump back when the 80s and 90s he seemed more like better spoken yeah than he is now and it's just like it's just like me if i'm like you know i'm old and i'm getting mad at the kids on the lawn get the hell off the lawn or something <laughs> like that but now you're putting it on facebook and twitter, twitter. and now every, millions of people see it but he has his shortcomings. He has he's done some good things with the economy, but I mean, with this whole Iran thing, I don't know. I mean, I hope he did the right thing. I just I, I hate to see another war. I mean, and, and I'm not saying this bad about any other country, but it's our country that's always sacrificing our young right. to go fight. Yeah, and there's a lot. You know, I talked to my cousin Frederick and his friend. You know, they they like Trump. You know, they're they 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 love our country. I mean, if you look. If you own a house over there and stuff, like, you got a lot of money. Yeah. Like, they don't have houses like we do around here, you mm-hmm. know, like with the land and stuff like that. Everything's kind of smaller because they got to pay, like, a godly amount of taxes, like in Sweden. Oh, okay. Yeah. They pay, like, I don't know, is it close to almost 50%. Mm-hmm. And they even pay taxes to the church. It's state, it, you have uh, to pay taxes to the church. No shit. Yeah. And, you know, um, my other cousin, their brother, uh, Kala, he's um, like a city alderman or something like that. And they, yeah, they, they got to pay taxes to the, the church. It's like here, I'm like, man, we don't, you give to the church what you give. I mean, right. they, you, they, they get tax, they get tax incentives. They're tax, what is that? Tax, uh, they don't have to pay taxes. Yeah, tax exempt. Yeah. yeah. But man, they pay taxes to the church. But I mean, on the other hand, I see these mega churches around oh, here. Oh, God. And these guys are making, these guys are, what was it? Pat Robertson, Inside Edition, caught him like on the tarmac. Did you ever see that yeah. thing? Yeah. And he's talking about how the Lord, you know, he bought this this uh, private jet from, uh, what's the guy that created Medea? Oh, yeah. Um, Tyler Perry. Yeah. yeah. I got that thing at a deal. And he's talking about how he can't fly on public airplanes because it's a tube full of demons or something. Oh, and they're asking, like, are you considering people demons? And he starts getting, like, in her face. And I'm like, and I see some of the stuff pop up, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know how it pops up on your phone, but you get these self-help gurus that pop up and this guy's like talk about how there's a term for it that they believe that God is giving them riches and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah. I can't remember it. it uh, yeah. There's a term they use, but they, they, they firmly believe that they're not doing anything wrong. But there's many things that Jesus said in the Bible, like it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to go to heaven. That's true. And they they warp that teaching and but you know God said that He would take you know job you know He like with Job and I know the story with Job yeah. where God and Satan or Lucifer make a made, bet. made a bet that He's going to curse your name. Well, He kills off his family. He ends up kind of He does curse out God, but God basically told him I can take care of you. You know I, I and all that stuff, and he ends up having a good life after mm-hmm. that. But it's just. These, there's a, a part of me. I can see these people. I get so disgusted. Yeah. I mean, these people have, God, ten mansions, a yacht, a private jet. You know, I'm going all over the world to teach the the, the, the gospel. I'm like, well, the gospel's right in the book. Poor shit. 
You're a snake oil salesman. We, they've been doing this for 2,000 years. There's yeah. nothing anybody else hasn't said in the past that's what they're saying anything different today. Well, it's like Joel Osteen. That's that's the one who really pisses me mm -hmm. off because he's got that massive megachurch that's the size of the Superdome. And here he is out there smiling and going on and on about it. It's the same thing like you were saying, claiming that, well, he has all this wealth because God takes care of him because he's spreading God's word. And yet he was the one who came under fire because when Katrina happened, he refused to open his doors to people who had just lost their homes. Right. And it's like, you are 100% good. Like, if there's ever been a time for us to say, what would Jesus do? This would be it. <laughs> exactly. Like if, and that's what always blew my mind. I always felt like, um, having been raised a Catholic, I always sort of felt like, you know, the path of the good person would be the person. I'm not saying that you shouldn't enjoy your success. But on the flip side, if you're really living the teachings, shouldn't you be ergo doing what Jesus would do and being like, you know what? I've got this building that can literally house tens of thousands of people and right outside my door are tens of thousands of people who are homeless and starving and dirty. That should be a no-brainer. Open your doors, bring them in, feed them, whatever you have to do. And that's why I, I kind of get it. I feel like churches like that, there are some people out there, especially on the left, who talk about how we should begin to tax churches. And I think we should, but only in those exceptions. Like if you've got a small parish in a little town, there's no reason for you to be hitting them with taxes. Some right. Because I, I went to some of those churches as a kid where they were like, Reliant on fundraisers just to keep the lights exactly. turned on. But when you've got these huge mega churches with guys who are at the head of it who are worth personally worth billions of dollars, yeah, we're going to hit you with thirty yeah, percent. I, th I think something like that. You know, like with I don't think with the Catholic Church or anything like that. I don't think that should happen. I mean, they do a lot of good stuff. I mean, the priests aren't living, you know, high on the hog. You know, these guys are going out. And they're doing, you know, they're living in the rectory and stuff. Right. Like that. Yeah. I mean, but with people that just it's it's, it's an upstart business. If yeah. they start and it's 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 they become a mega corporation. Yeah. They're living, you know. They don't have to pay taxes, and they're living in houses that are as big as this block that you even bigger than yeah. that. I can't. I couldn't imagine living in. Yeah, they have like houses that. like Brad Pitt, and yeah. just like. And the sad thing about it is, it's really easy to do if you're charismatic and don't have morals, don't have a problem lying to people. Anybody can get up there and go on and on about. <clears throat> and it's sad because they sucker in a lot of people, unfortunately, who for whatever reason are the highest intelligence. They say, you know, I know you're down, but God believes in you, and he's going to bring you the word. And now if you could do me a favor and send me $10, I would greatly appreciate it. Before you know it, all these people are sending in $10 bills, $10 checks, and you start to add that stuff up, and then they hit them again the next week and the next week and the next week. And that's how I think some of these people get this way. You know, it, it, yeah. I think, it, and I don't know if in people like Joel Austin, if it started off altruistic, if he started off well, truly wanting to, and then just kind of like drifted from shore. Well, his dad had it. His dad oh, had was it. it, yeah, and then it all started off from there. So, you know, he's a businessman. Yeah, he's a businessman for he's a religious man. What was that? Um, what was that movie with Steve Martin that came out years ago, Leap of Faith, where he was one of those. He was one of those traveling evangelicals, and they even went through the whole thing about how they had it set up where people who worked for him would pretend to be common people and would move throughout the crowd beforehand and talk to people, and and then they would feed information to him like, oh, so and so third row, second chair. You know her dog sick, and then he'd know what he got on stage. Oh, God's talking to me right now. He's telling somebody's dog sick. You, ma'am, and they just lose their minds. And I think the whole the basis of the story was is his truck broke down in this podunk town in like Kansas or something, and he got marooned there for like a month and fell in love with a woman, and eventually realized that he was a piece of shit. I think he did that ahead of time. <laughs> he finally started feeling bad. Yeah, about I haven't it, seen that movie. It sounds like it'd be funny to watch. I laugh. But my wife is. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. If she'll get mad at me talking about her. Probably not. But my wife is a former Jehovah's Witness. Um, and I remember earlier in the podcast, I said, I don't care what religion you are. If you're a Jehovah's Witness, you're an idiot. 
I'm just going to say that right now. If you're Catholic, you're Muslim, Jewish, great. All the power to If you're a Jehovah's Witness or a Scientologist, you, uh. are, you are a moron. Okay. <laughs> um, and I remember when I first met her and she told me she was a, she was a Jehovah's Witness, I asked her the first, there was the most important question. I said, did you convert to being a Jehovah's Witness or were you raised that way? She said, I was raised that way. And I thought to myself, I know because you're too intelligent for that shit. And sure enough, when we got together, she left the church. And it's kind of one of those, I don't know if you've watched like any of the documentaries on like Scientology. Oh, or that. I- yeah. Stuff where you're like raising this total like brainwash culture and then once you get out and turn around and look back you're like oh my god like they were telling us this and telling us this and if we ever talked to these people we'd immediately go to hell and they'd yeah. fill your head so full of that bullshit well it was funny you know I knew about Scientology years before it but when uh, South Park <laughs> did that and they had the whole story said this is the actual story <laughs> like L. Ron Hubbard was I read couple of his books I couldn't read anymore he was just such a terrible science fiction writer. I know he wasn't even good and he made money still oh, God. I, I re- that Battlefield Earth was the worst oh, movie ever God. man and I can't believe John Travolta just well he's a Scientologist oh I know but it's like man <laughs> It's I like, so dude, terrible. this is stupid. <laughs> I remember actually like not even giving a shit about Scientology, just seeing the commercials for that movie and being like, dude, that looks dope. <laughs> and I went and saw it, I'm like, what the fuck is this? this yeah, is so like bad. when they first started putting the stuff on TV, they made it sound like some type of like a scientific way of looking at the existence. The Dianetics. Yeah, like yeah. there's a, like it was the force. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? This new secret thing had been unlocked. And I was actually a week ago, I was watching a documentary about it, and this guy that knew L. Ron Hubbard. That he was sitting down there with, and he was a science fiction writer himself. And L. Ron Hubbard basically told him, like, yeah, I'm going to create my own religion. Yeah. And he did. And they thought he was messing around. They're like, yeah. And he would, he would give him, he was in the Navy. And you ever heard the story with him in the Navy? Yeah, yes. Oh, my God, it's funny. During World War II, yes. he wasn't even stationed in Europe. He was, on, like, in California off the coast, like, lo- looking for subs and stuff like that. He made up some story that there was a Japanese sub in the harbor and got all these military assets to come out. And he made the whole thing up, and they basically court-martialed him and kicked him out. So he created this whole religion around, you know, the, the Sea Org, which yes. is their thing. They like, created, like, a... a, a Dumbed down, watered down version of the United States Navy where people got ranked. He gave himself all these medals. Oh, yeah. Awarded himself. Yeah. yeah. That is crazy. He'd stand there in his full captain's uniform <laughs> like he was Nimitz on the yeah. bow of the ship. Yeah, you know? This guy created a whole freaking incident <laughs> in San Francisco. Study. I found somebody. He was like throwing depth charges off left and right, blowing stuff up. So everybody's like, what's going on? They sent this whole you know, Navy fleet out, find out he made the whole thing up. And it's you know if, if you know it's 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 too bad that you know the technology and the way information flows today didn't go back around then because that religion would have never taken off the ground right. because too many people are like man this idiot created this yeah and that's what I keep wondering about what's going to happen with Scientology because I remember I've watched a couple documentaries on was Leah Romini she's got that show on yeah. TV called Going Clear I haven't seen it but um, I love to watch it and she was raised I, I want to say she was raised um, a Scientologist and eventually got out of it had this huge blow up over it. Um, but it's kind of it's just like you were saying is that the church is kind of that church I, I have a hard time calling it a church but that organization which is tax exempt by the way did you ever hear about that whole story with them in the IRS no I know they're tax exempt but I know the story so what they did and this was kind of like this was so fucked up and I don't remember how many years ago this was but they were paying taxes and they, they kept claiming like we are a religion we are a church and the IRS is like no you're not well the IRS isn't theologians they're, they're fucking accountants <laughs> right like they're like I don't give a shit so what they did is they had almost every single Scientology facility across the entire country all file a lawsuit against the IRS 
IRS at the same time. So the the legal fees alone for the IRS for them to send lawyers to like basically almost every like multiple spots in every single state to fight these lawsuits and all because if I wanted to I could walk down to the Stevenson County Courthouse and file a lawsuit against Microsoft. Microsoft has got to send a lawyer to right. deal with it. The logistical nightmare and the money it was going to cost the IRS to fight this caused the IRS to buckle and just say, fine, you're tax exempt. Uh, that's pretty strategically smart. Yeah, yeah. I, I, tactically, it's smart. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They got what they wanted. Yeah. You know, They were like, we're just going to carpet bomb the shit out of this and, and get away with it. But it's um, the whole reason I brought the Jehovah's Witness thing up is just like you were saying with Scientology is the guy who started Jehovah's Witness religion was a door-to-door book salesman. I didn't understand how this started. This is I'm going to hear this. Yeah, and I don't know a lot about it, so you're going to be let down. But he was a board, door-to-door book salesman. He eventually figured out, just like we were talking about with Scientology, just like we were talking about with like Joel Osteen, is that religion sells. So he started going door-to-door selling religion, his own brand of religion. you know. And um, yeah, and it grew into this really crazy following. And they still exist to this day. I don't know how. Because you'd think by the information age, it should start to erode away at some of this people who can, because it used to be, it was one thing like, um, I remember my wife telling me is that their thing is, is that there were, there were Jehovah's Witnesses and the people who were not Jehovah's Witnesses were called worldly. They were people who had been out in the world and therefore had been tainted by the world. Mm -hmm. Now, if you had a job, it was okay to associate these people while you were at work. You were not allowed to hang out with them outside of work. You were not allowed to converse with them outside of work. So it kept things very, very insulated. Okay. People. So like my wife who grew up in that, she spent all of her time with her parents or the children she was allowed to have over or houses she was allowed to go to play with these kids were other Jehovah's Witness households. Yeah. So it kept everything extremely insulated. There were, they had these whole, ever they had this like constantly updated list of books you were not allowed to read, movies you were not allowed to watch, TV shows wow. you were not allowed to watch. And in a way, it was kind of fun because my wife, when she when we got together, which is coming up on ten years ago, um, when she left the religion, it was fun because she like literally had this list of like dozens of movies she had always wanted to see and had never seen because wow. they were quote unquote banned by the religion that it would make you worldly and it would taint you and all this other crap. Um, and then I just got to shove a lot of movies at her she had never even heard of before. You know, I'm like, you've never seen Gremlins? Sit your ass down. We're watching Gremlins. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, in my, everybody has their own view and concept of a creator, you know, and as, as far as how I was raised and I look at, and I look at God as, I don't believe God created us to be slaves. I don't believe God, I mean, we need to do the right thing. We need to live our life the way that, you know, Jesus taught, you know, the creator is taught, but God's not making, you know, and so there's some religions that make it out that you have to use every waking moment to praise God. And there was actually a skit on Saturday Night Live and well, Pharaoh played Jesus. This woman was praying over everything. Like she was sharpening a pencil. She's like, please God, let this pencil be sharp. So Jesus shows up. It's Will Ferrell. He's like, hey, Carol, I love everything you're doing. You're an excellent human being. But he's like, can you lay off the prayers a little bit? We get these, some of this stuff's ridiculous. You know, you're talking about, you know, I, I pray to God that I can make these pancakes perfect. You know I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't think life... We were created to be slaves. I don't, it's not in our, we're meant to be free. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're not meant to be a slave to a deity. That's what it was in the old times with the many gods and different stuff like that. Oh, yes. I mean, when Christianity came around, it was kind of, and Christianity is kind of, if you look at it, and I just started realizing this too, because I started watching videos on Buddhism, the similarities between Buddha and Jesus are crazy. I remember a friend of mine who's a Buddhist once telling me that had Buddha been born in Western society, he'd be a saint today. Right. Like, without a doubt. And he was 
he was in, in Buddhism. There was there's other gods, mm-hmm. but even the gods revere Buddha. He right. was he was God made fl- a God made flesh, just like the story with Jesus. Yeah, and the similarities like in in Buddhism, Buddha is always accompanied by two not servants but helpers, kind of like the Trinity. Yeah, and they and even the similarities between like uh, what was it with Jesus's nativity. Like when this goes along with the Dalai Lama, when the Dalai, the Dalai Lama is a being that's reborn after he dies, so they have to go around try to look for this child somewhere, and then they have these things that they bring with to kind of trick the child. There's some of them that were in the that the 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 Dalai Lama would remember from his previous life. Then there's some that they would do to trick him to find out if this person is really the Dalai Lama being reborn. And there was some historian from England that was talking about how. The three wise men were actually these people that were Buddhists that were looking for the Dalai Lama, and the gifts were to see if this being or the, the child was actually the next Dalai Lama reborn. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. You know, the similarities between Buddhism and Christianity is just, it's, you know, looking how Buddha taught and looking how Jesus taught did the same thing. He would put kings and stuff on notice, and he, he would talk to them. You know, like the Pharisees with Jesus, he would call them out. Like, if any common person did, they're like, whoa, you know, they're going to put him to death. Like, yeah. he didn't care. Yeah. Buddha did the same thing to kings and all. And actually, Buddha was a prince at one time. Oh, okay. And he was in his 30s. I think he was 33 when he decided he was into the whole thing, you know, you know, women, money, drinking. One day he woke up and he's like, I can't, I don't like living like this. So he goes out and he starts living as a, um, a monk. And he starts trying to starve himself to find enlightenment and all this other stuff, and it wasn't working, punishing himself. And he realized, with what I talked about earlier, with the the loose string on a guitar or the 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 the, the uh, tight string, you need to be work, work the middle. You have to be a both a, walk a gray line, and that's how Jesus was too. Mm-hmm. And not only Jesus, you know, preached, you know, to care and love your fellow man, but there's passages. They talk about Jesus, you know, people should fucking stand up for themselves and stand up for other people. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, I mean, I'm wondering if Christianity kind of evolved from Buddhism because Buddha was supposed to have been born like 1500 years before Christ or something like that. Yeah. Well, you see a lot of those. Um, gosh, and it's, first of all, I want, I want to say that I feel like you ever get that person who shows up for Christmas who has a gift that's way more expensive than anybody else. They're always like that dick. Like they want to show everybody up. I feel like a three wise men, the one who gave gold was the first one. (laughs) Like they all show up and like, I brought frankincense. I brought more. I brought gold. And the other two are like, dude, we said 10 and under this year. What are you doing? (laughs) But um, uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to take a quick break folks. We will be right back. And we are back. Had to take a little CS there to, for the bathroom. What were we talking about? We're we talking about Jesus. Yeah, we yeah. can move on to something else. Uh, man, I don't know. I'll let you pick the topic this time. I've been driving the conversation. <laughs> uh, uh, let's hey, drive it, man. I'm at a blank right now. Let me, well, let's look on Facebook real yeah. quick. Let's see what's going on right now. Uh, memes. memes. Oh, always memes. <laughs> Oh, man. Facebook cracks me up. I've got a couple of those meme pages that I'm an admin on, which are just a shit I need to join one because some of them are so funny. Man. Yeah. 
I've got this one that I, I didn't create, but I got invited into a couple of years ago. Being a big, huge Chicago Cubs fan, I got invited in to be an admin on this page called Cubs Memes. And when I say right now, we're at about 67,000 followers. Wow. And that is a lot of fun. It's me and um, now three other admins, the guy who created it and then two other guys and then me. And that's always kind of fun because every single day we have a, for years now, we've had a constant converse, group conversation going on Facebook. We're always kicking ideas back and forth. And you're always having that debate like, is this one a little too risky to publish? Is this one a little too offensive? Right. Are we gonna Are we going to piss a bunch of people off? That's why we've got a side page. It's a private page just for that really offensive shit. That yeah, that's we the thing you got to look at, especially with jobs nowadays, man. Oh, gosh. that's um, You're not lying. Me and um, Michelle in the last podcast were talking about that, about you know living now in this information age where everybody knows everything. And it's, it's one of the things I keep coming back to because it's kind of like it, it's sort of a big watershed thing as a society. Like there's no putting the toothpaste back in the tube at this point. You know, it is what for better or for worse, we're down this path. Right. And I always keep wondering where it's going to end up. You know, it, and I remember, and you probably did too. Do you ever read 1984 by George Orwell? Oh yeah. And that was the big thing is be, be terrified of big brother, look out for bigger. And I think the whole book was written as a cautionary tale. Like, don't let government surveillance get so bad. And I don't think it's the government surveilling us. It's corporations that no, are. No, yeah. And I, yeah. It's willingly. But on the other hand, now we're sometimes having that legal battle where, like, you know, the police or whatever, the government wants to subpoena Facebook or whatever for background information or private messages. And right. That stuff's scary. Like, the information that Google collects is just crazy. And I was watching the podcast Joe Rogan had with uh, Elon Musk. And he was talking about how this AI, you know, with AI, it's, it's, how do I explain it? It's, we are part of that AI yeah. right now with how Google and all these, other, you know, you know, with the uh, social media, it's, it, we're all neurons in a giant brain and that's how it's learning. Yeah. You know, I'm, I was watching, I read a, an article where Facebook um, created a prototype AI and it was actually two AIs. And both of them were talking to each other, and, and they were talking in some type of gibberish, like it was like different languages all mixed up together, like English and French and German and Thai and Chinese, and they're like trying to figure out what the hell, like what the what are they talking about? Is it just BS? Yeah. They figured out that these things are talking to each other, like in a, they made up their own language, so they ended up pulling the plug on this. Wow. So I mean, you 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 read you, you know all the movies we watched as kids, you know, especially with like uh, Terminator, with you know, yeah, with Skynet, Skynet, you know, and how you know how it, it becomes self-aware and like there was some AI that they got. It, it's a woman, you know, yeah. that talks, yeah, and it, it it learns from the internet, and then it starts talking about wanting to kill people, yeah. But then it get you know, I mean, if you look at like social media and how people are rotten to each other, it's oh, like it's horrible. It, that's how these machines are learning how to act, yeah. And they're looking at humanity and thinking, was it that one that Microsoft turned on within like twenty minutes? It was a Nazi porn star, yeah. Like it just like it got on the internet, started reading everything, started collating, and what's the majority being talked out here? Oh, by the way, I want to take my shirt off and I hate Jews, and it's like, yeah. Like if that isn't a microcosm of what the internet is, if that's not a it's learning test. from human behavior, right. what most is on the internet. Yeah, uh, you know, if we were all a bunch of straight laced good human beings, I'm sure AI would learn on the internet and right. learn from that. I mean, it's like basically with these AIs, it's like a child. Yeah, it's, it's learning. It's, it's it's molding itself into be some. Like it's like you, you, you know, pe- children aren't born to be racist. Right. They they learn that. Yeah. And they're, 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 you know, with AI, it's. 
the 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 software is a mold it's, it's moldable like a child's brain yeah. and so it's learning all this bad sh stuff that we're talking about on the internet and like i hate democrats and i hate jews or all this stuff and it's learning that and it's like oh that's how i should be is you know i'm gonna right. melt myself off of the information that inf humans put on the internet yeah and it's it's sad that and i don't know if it's just it's so easy. Like I, I feel like every single person has some level of insecurity. Everybody does to a greater right. or lesser extent. When you're on the internet, a lot of that goes away because you're not there in person. So right. you can be the biggest badass you want to be. Uh -huh. You can be the biggest jerk you. I've got some people. It sucks. Like I'm friends with on Facebook because I'm friends with them because of stuff outside of Facebook. And yet when you see them on social media, that's all they're doing is talking shit constantly. And you're mm -hmm. like, I know you're not really like that. <laughs> Like, if that person was standing in your living room, I guarantee you wouldn't use those words. Not necessarily right. because you'd be afraid of getting your ass beat, but because I just know you're not that big of an asshole, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 informal. It's You're, you're, you're just typing words. You yeah. Know, you got a picture, and you're typing words. Yeah. And a lot of the, you know, I thought about this a long time ago, too. Like, this stuff, it can come back and haunt you. Oh, yeah. And I'm lucky. I'm glad I, I'm not stupid, and I'm... I think I'm a halfway decent person. I don't do get on there and start like bashing people and doing all this other stuff. It's just like there's people that they look back years. Like I, I I've seen people post on like public uh, Facebook sites like Fox News or like WTVO and just like put ridiculous stuff on. Yeah, there. and like. You don't realize that somebody's gonna go fishing your information, like especially I've seen people that post half racist racist stuff. Yeah. And some of them you look at their page and they have a pretty prestigious job. You don't think somebody's gonna get angry, right. like, hey, I'm gonna come I'm gonna communicate communicate with this company and tell them your your employees acting like this. We've seen it dozens of times on like on in the news. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, social media hasn't made humanity better, it's made humanity worse, I think. Yeah. I think so too, and it, it's interesting. You see it happen. It happens several times every year in the sports world, um, where you have some young athlete who's a nobody, like nobody knows who they are. All of a sudden, they start doing really good. They start trending. People start paying attention to them. And oh, look, somebody went and looked. And oh, guess what? Five years ago, there's a shit ton of racist tweets they sent out. Right. You know that happened last year with the Milwaukee Brewers and Josh Hader, one of their relievers. He was a nobody prior to that. Because mm -hmm. all of a sudden, started tearing it up. And all of a sudden, yeah, I want to say he's from the south. And all of a sudden, somebody went digging. And five years ago, a shit ton of racist tweets he had sent out. Right. And it's like you gotta. I don't want to, yeah, definitely, I mean, censor yourself, especially especially at that point in time. I mean, that many years ago, he knew what he wanted to do for a living. Right. And not to mention, in fact, I don't know how these companies don't have, you know, like sports teams as big a front office as they have in sports. They don't have somebody whose whole job it is. Okay, this guy, we just got this minor leaguer up. Um, somebody go through his social media. Make sure they're anything. And then they send him to cultural sensitivity training, which just sounds like bullshit to me. Yeah. Um, that stuff is so, so bizarre, some of the stuff. And sometimes I feel like, it's so easy for us to disassociate people we don't know. Like when you see a comment from somebody on a public page who you've never met, you don't know who they are, you just see a name and a picture of them smiling. And it's an idiotic comment. Like well, they say they say something really, really stupid. It's really easy to just in your mind turn that person into an idiot. Mm -hmm. In reality, if you went to their house, if you spent Christmas there with their family, you'd think everybody was absolutely wonderful. Right. For whatever reason, maybe he's got a bad idea about something. Maybe he was in a bad mood when he wrote that. Who knows? But it's so easy for us to just disassociate. I mean, so how many people are in this country now? Is it, what are we, like 220 million, I believe. Is that? I think 220 or 320. Maybe Siri knows. Hey, Siri. What's the population of the United States? 
2019, the population of United States of America was 328,239,523. Yeah. Like wow, 328 million. And actually, that's on the low end. We're losing. Our population is declining. Yeah. Can you imagine sitting down with the framers of the Constitution and be like, by the way, one day there is going to be this many people? That's what makes me wonder. And I, if you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast, I'm sure you've heard him talk about that. And I've kind of started to wonder it, too. If we didn't have this model of government that wasn't developed, that was perfect for the time that it was created in. But now we've gotten to the point where everything is so big. I mean, the founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, John Adams, Ben Franklin... At no point in time would they have been able to fathom that at one point in time the president is literally going to have the power to push a button and destroy an entire right. nation off the face <clears> of the planet <throat> without congressional approval if he wanted to, because at the end of the day, who's going to stop him if he's in a mood, you yeah. know, or something happens? Um, I remember that. That was the big thing behind that one Stephen King novel. Oh, God, what was that one? The guy who went into the coma and came out of it and he could see the future if he, like, shook somebody's hand. Yeah. Oh, God. I know what you're talking I haven't read it, but I, I remember yeah. hearing the story. They made a movie out of it with Christopher Walken and Charlie Sheen. Not Charlie Sheen, his dad. Um, played the president on West Wing. Why can't I remember his oh, name? Martin. Uh, uh, Is that it? Martin Sheen? Martin Sheen. Yeah. Where this guy's like a really young guy who's like running for his first ever public office, and the character shakes his hand and sees his future and sees that one day he's going to be president starting thermonuclear war with Russia and decides that he has to like assassinate him before any of this happens. Yeah. And it's like I didn't have I don't think I had a point with that, but it just occurred to me. Um but you kind of wonder, I mean God, that many people in this country. And how many people were here? How many what would you guess would be would have been the population in 1776? Maybe a million or Maybe two? Maybe a million? God, I got to look this and up. That's probably just including the colonists alone. Right. Wow. Population. I don't think we understand just 2.5 million. Yeah. And the entire what would be the colonies at that point. Right. And they were so spread out too. I oh, mean, you big had, time. You know, living back then, I mean, you had a lot of people in the cities, but a lot of the, the people were expanding to go find their own land. Yeah. Well, especially back then when you could literally walk out and say, you know what, this 100 acres is mine. You didn't have to buy it and there was nobody there to stop you. Right. You know. And, oh, getting back into that, uh, the Men Who Made America, that, new, oh, that, that yeah. new one with the Frontiersmen. Yeah. They were talking about Andrew Jackson, Davy Crockett, and I can't remember the guys that went and fought against the uh, Mexican Army in California, but we'll, we'll go into oh, Andrew okay. Jackson and um, Davy Crockett. Um Andrew Jackson came, he was another person, came from nothing. Right. And he, they both him and Crockett lived in Tennessee. And Andrew Jackson, as you know, was a prick. <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, he ended up, his claim to fame was he ended up building up a militia because he was fighting off different Indian tribes, like the Choctaw. I think it was mostly the Choctaw because there was one incident he was involved in. It was a Chuck, the Choctaw, and I can't remember the band, the tribal band that there was. It was responsible for completely destroying a village, killing everybody in it. So Andrew Jackson, he used to be a backwoods judge. He was mm -hmm. a judge, had no formal education, but back then you live in the frontier. You're not going to have very, you're not going to have university, you know, school people living there. Right. So they basically, he was a big man, and. He would go in and he would go beat people up. Yeah, that were the people were that were on trial. Just going, there was one incident where this 
He let this guy go and he goes out and commits another crime. Mm-hmm. He robs somebody. He finds out that he's in a bar. Goes in the bar and just beats this guy down with this <laughs> giant stick. But um, he ends up creating his own militia and trying to track down this uh, Choctaw tribe. Well, he can't find them. And as, as you know, the Native Americans, they knew the land and they knew how to maneuver and cover their tracks. Well, Davy Crockett was born and raised in the backwoods. He was a tracker. He was a hunter. So they, he recruited him. And they go, they, and Davy Crockett finds this tribe, and Andrew Jackson has them all killed. And it didn't sit well with um, Davy Crockett. Well, forward, fast forward years later, Andrew Jackson becomes president. And there was, you know, with a lot of those, you know, with the men who created America, they have a lot of different historians talk about the stuff. Right. And one historian said that actually with the time Andrew Jackson was president, um, Slavery was on the downfall because they didn't have enough land and they couldn't maintain the land that they had and they weren't making money, so they couldn't afford to buy the slaves. So it was kind of, at that point, slavery could have been completely destroyed. Right. So what Andrew Jackson does is starts parceling off land in Tennessee and stuff like that and starts deforesting areas, starts mm-hmm. cutting stuff down like they're doing in Brazil. They're destroying the rainforest, right. trying to build farms and stuff like that. And he's doing this all for these people that put him in the office. Davy Crockett's mad because what they're doing, he wants to do is create the, he created the Indian Removal Act and, and started, he pushed off the Choctaw the Cherokee, and I can't remember the other tribes. They had to base, they created this utopia for them out at Oklahoma, which was nothing. Poor shit. Yeah, yeah, so they had to march like a thousand miles and, and had no yeah. provisions, no nothing. They The Trail of Tears, and the, many of them died on the way there. And Davy Crockett was the only person in Congress to fight against it. Mm-hmm. So he's, well, he basically got people on his side. He's like, you know, these people lived alongside my family, took care of my family for years. He's like, these people, you know, some of them fought alongside us in the revolution, and you're going to kick them out? Yeah. I mean, could you imagine? The thing is with this country and the stuff that we're dealing with now is because our ancestors, I mean, we look back in the past and we think that, you know, people were, you know, brutal back then. Well, a lot of them were decent people. Yeah. And actually what Andrew, I found this out, what Andrew Jackson did with the, the, the Indian removal the um, Supreme Court at the time ruled it unlawful. He had no he had no authority to do what he did. Okay. So, and that's one thing that kind of bothers me about Trump is that he likes Andrew Jackson. There's many other presidents you can pick. Yeah. That could have been, were great. But th- this guy was an ass. He I mean, I'm not asshole. getting you wrong. He was he. He was a genius when it came to kicking the British out of New Orleans and stuff oh, like that. Oh, that was like one of the most lopsided yeah, he was, <laughs> military battles of all of U.S. military history. And, and he, he defeated them, got yeah. them out of there. But, I mean, it doesn't give you the right. I mean, I couldn't imagine. Could you imagine if he didn't partial off the land and did stuff like that, if slavery was stopped right then and there? Well, the, the bizarre thing is, like, didn't he adopt a Native American girl that he had found? I don't know. Yeah, there was some story behind that. I remember it was like this big thing in the story about how he had found this, like, basically abandoned Native American girl, and he adopted his own. It was like Andrew Jackson, the hero. 
The thing that got lost in the story is he rode in with his men and slaughtered the entire village ahead of time. That's why the woman was. That's why the baby was an orphan to begin with. Yeah. That, you know like, that reminds me of an under. What was it? Uh, the vampire movie Underworld. Oh where yeah. That, 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 that Lord. He was yeah. a vampire. Kills. Uh, you know what's her name? The Celine actress. Kyle. Yeah, Kate Beckinsale. Kate Beckinsale kills her family off and adopts her and blames it on the werewolves. You can't <laughs> and maybe Andrew Jackson was a vampire. Yeah. You but, can't. You can't bring up Kate Beckinsale and not have a moment of just reverence and awe. But you know. Um, with the Davy Crockett thing, he ends up losing election because of what he did. He stood up. Yeah, I'll have to recommend this, but I haven't read it yet. I was listening to the podcast, uh, this other podcast, Meat Eater podcast, recently, and they had a guy in here who just wrote a book about the Greeley expedition. But prior to that, his book prior to that was about Davy Crockett. So they spent almost the entire podcast talking about Davy Crockett and what a. They were talking a little bit about during his campaign to run for that office. I mean, you're talking about a guy who had no political training. And so a lot of times he'd travel around with, which was common, you'd travel around with the person you were campaigning against. Right. And a lot of times, because there wasn't news like there is today, people would just give the same speech over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So what David Crockett started doing is when they get to a spot and they were both going to speak, when he was going to speak first, he'd give his opponent's speech. Tony didn't know what the fuck to do. <laughs> yeah. He'd get up there and be like, yeah, everything I was going to say, he already said. So, um, But it, it's a bizarre history that we had with the Native Americans. Because when we were still under the colonies, the British had this really strict rule. You do not cross the Appalachian Mountains. We've made agreements. Everything beyond the Appalachia is Indian territory. That is theirs. We've promised it to them. Consider there to be a wall. If you pass it and the Indians fuck you up, that's your problem. Right. We told you not to go there. Um, George Washington had extremely good views and extreme, extremely good relationships with the Indians. He actually owned the chunk of land that's today Pittsburgh. He owned that at one point in time. Yeah. I, I remember reading a, a biography of him and it was mentioning his land holdings. And this was post uh, prior to the Revolutionary War. And it said that he owned something like 3,000 square acres at the confluence of these two rivers. And I looked it up and that's Pittsburgh. It's <laughs> like right there where Pittsburgh is. But he sort of had this mindset. He knew that as America grew, it was going to move west. Like there was right. no if, and, or buts about it. And so he had this idea of creating Indian reservations that were basically the size of states that Western settlers heading west would flow around like water, like around rocks and a river. Like this whole area that's basically the size of Illinois is Indian territory. You do not cross without their permission. Right. We don't own that land. But unfortunately, during his time as president and after that, there were he was not supported in that mindset. Everybody else had that mindset. This, you know, yeah. the manifest destiny of, no, we're heading west and they yeah. just need to get the hell out of the well, way. Andrew Jackson was the one um, that was the president during the uh, Black Hawk War. Yeah. And, you know, the big thing that got Black Hawk, Black Hawk fought alongside the British during the French and Indian War. Mm -hmm. And um, after that, he became peaceful. He, you know, but it, the point was that got him to fight against the U.S. government was that... His tribe killed um, a U a son uh, not a senator a, a settler. Okay, and so the United States Army took these two guys prisoner, took them down to took them down to St. Louis because that was that was a big that was the biggest city as far west as you can go at that time. Right. So the 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 the, the Sauk and the Fox sent representatives down there to negotiate his, their release. And they, the government got these guys drunk as heck and had them start signing documents. And what these documents were was saying that the, the Fox and the Sock were going to release all their land, give their land to the U.S. government, and they were going to move over the um, Mississippi and Iowa. Well, they would go into the, at that time, the Sock and the Fox during the winter months would move into Iowa for hunting and stuff like that. 
they had enemies in Iowa. And actually, they were enemies. They had enemies with uh, the Cherokee. But anyway, um, at that time in their tribe, there was different types of chiefs. There were civil chiefs that dealt with negotiations, land dealings, anything to do with the people. Then there was war chiefs. Then they were used. They were the ones that would lead the nations in a war. Well, the civil chiefs basically said, well, there's nothing that we can do. And he's like, this was illegal. They, you, they had no, these, right. these, these were just regular warriors. They couldn't negotiate. They had no ability to. Uh-huh. So the, the civil chiefs kind of gave in and Blackhawk said, no, this is our land. You know, this is, you know, my ancestors are buried here, all that stuff. Well, I mean, you know, he ended up losing. And um, Andrew Jackson had him taken prisoner and was basically like what the Roman emperors used to do with the... Uh, the, the Germanic tribe uh, chiefs, when they captured them, take them to the capital, parade them around like we took this guy. Well, he was taking them to all the major cities like Boston, New York. And the response that, that came from the American people was nothing that Andrew Jackson could have fathomed. They, they were relating to Blackhawk because he was fighting for their people. And he was, it was basically the same reason they fought against the British government. They were yeah, fighting against a tyrant. So Andrew Jackson was, when they take Black Hawk to say New York, a day later, Andrew Jackson would come. The people were booing Andrew Jackson and cheer, <laughs> cheering for Black Hawk. And Black Hawk was just, he, he was amazed at the response that he got. He didn't, he, he looked at the white man, thought they were savages too, but he, he realized that, that, you know, he, he prayed that, that we would take care of the land as much as what they did. Yeah. But, you know, and look at what we're doing. Yeah. There's also, um, I don't know, it, 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 it's such a convoluted thing um, in the sense that, and I, I'm going to piss off a lot of my liberal friends when I say this, but we, we kind of tend to have this view sometimes in America as though the Native Americans, the Indian tribes had it all figured out, and they were doing this and they were doing that. It was so great. We came along and screwed it up. Uh I think it's important to keep in mind the Native Americans were humans. They, right. they were doing human exactly. shit. Exactly. A lot of those tribes were tearing each other up. Uh-huh. Um, this view that they would, you know, we have this long-standing myth that whenever they killed an animal, they used every piece of that animal. That wasn't always true. No. You know, we find these like mass graves of buffalo where there's like 50 buffalo, and I remember I was reading this thing where they had I don't remember where it was like Nebraska or Texas or somewhere they had dug this like. 70 foot long trench that was like six feet deep and they basically herded them into there well you know how they used to hunt them before horseback right <clears throat> how's that they would uh they would use the fastest runner they had and agitate the herd and try to injure you know one you know one or two of them so the whole herd would get pissed uh-huh. follow this guy and he'd lead them to a ravine and kind of uh, jump okay. over and they'd fall over because at that time they you know you really couldn't hunt that many buffalo right with, with no horses or anything so They'd fall off the cliff. Yeah. So that's what how they'd hunt. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an ingenious way. I mean, at the t- I mean, you have to do at that point. You're living as survivor is survival. Right. Yeah. But I mean, we're all human. It's just like they they fought their their nations fought as much as what we did in Europe. You know, mm-hmm. against each other for land for hunt. You know, hunting grounds stuff like that. And like you couldn't have said it better. We're all humans. There's nothing yeah. we were. We've been fighting and killing each other since the day we were put on this planet. <laughs> right. That's just. And I think a lot of it. And you see this. And I think it's one of the biggest. I, I really wish it was something that was recognized more in modern society. Is that as human beings, we have something very, very strong that is part of our coding. You know, if you think of the the human brain as a computer that runs on this operating system, um, a big part of that is tribalism, 
we seek out our own tribe. I mean, you see this in harmless ways, like in sports, like, you know, Bears fans telling Packers fans to fuck off and vice versa. Right. For the most part, that's every once in a while somebody gets drunk and gets out of control. But for the most part, that's harmless <laughs> tribalism. Uh -huh. But I really think that's part of the problem we have where it's like, I am, and I'm not down talking any particular group at all when I say this, I'm just giving an example, but when like, someone says I'm a vegan, they need to form up with other vegans. And there's a sense of community in that. I totally get that 100%. But I think it, that can also become toxic. It, become, it becomes an us versus them. I think a lot of that is where we're at in politics now, where the Democrats are a tribe, the Republicans are a tribe, and they're both ready to throw spears at each other without sitting down and realizing, hey, you know, we're all in this shit show together, man. You know? Um, and that's why you see that throughout history, throughout, you know, where... You know, tribes form, and it's always about resources and about us versus them, and attack and destroy. And not that every we know this throughout history. Not every early European Germanic tribe was that way. Not every Native American tribe was warmongering, but some of them were. Some of them, that's how they made their living. You know, I always thought it was really interesting. And I don't know if you've ever done a lot of research on this, but since we both went to Winnebago, being the Winnebago Indians, which is fascinating in and of itself, because geographically, where Winnebago, Illinois, sits, would be on the like the furthest fringe of their territory exactly and they were largely nomadic they were primarily dakota's minnesota area yeah and um, they were uh allies of blackhawks yeah i heard until that. they they backed out of the whole deal mm -hmm. and i think that's the blackhawks are not blackhawks the winnebago tries one who uh i believe it's they have ho-chunk yeah and they're the ones trying to build the uh casino north of the border here yeah because I think the Winnebago tribe and the Ho-Chunk tribe are the same. It's the same tribe. Yeah, yes. it's just they don't call, I don't think they call themselves the Winnebago. Yeah. Anymore. You know what I've never figured out? And I don't know if you know anything about this, because this has been one of these historical things, local history things that's baffled me, is that the town of, the village of Winnebago was not originally called Winnebago. Yeah. The name of it was Elida. Yep. Um, Pacatonica, the village, was originally Lysander, I believe was the name. And the village of Duran was originally Howard. Mm -hmm. For some reason, all in the same year, they all changed their names to Indian names. Hmm. I've never been able to find out why. I've never been able to find any concrete. I've never been able. I've even talked to people in like Winnebago and Durand and stuff like that. They're like, "Oh yeah, I remember that happening." I can't tell you why we did it, but I remember it happening. Oh yeah, and the the, the Pecatonica is uh, the Indian word for Crooked River. Yeah, and sometimes Stinky River. Yeah. some people like to yeah. say. <laughs> I lived in Pecatonica. Nice town, don't get me wrong, but I mean that that river would flood all the time. Yeah, the mosquitoes were so yeah. bad. It's horrible, and it's sad that a lot of it's soot and runoff. Like the fact that Mississippi, the Rock River was originally called the Mississippi Mississippi because that stood for clear bottom, didn't it? Because yeah. you could stand in the river and it was so clear, and you could look down and see yeah. the rocks at the bottom. And today, it's just mud water. Right, it's just soot and runoff. Yeah. And we just start building shit and tossing shit in the right in the river did i um oh this is really interesting did i ever tell you have you ever hear of the johnstown flood Johnstown, no this kind of relates this and also relates to carnegie what you were saying earlier um and i know a lot about this johnstown is a city in pennsylvania which is roughly a freeport sized town uh -huh. um and the main reason i know about it is my mom grew up in saint benedict which is about a half hour away. Okay. So whenever we go out there to visit for family over the summer, my dad being the story, he's like, yeah, I need to get away from in-laws for a little bit. Let's get in the car and, <laughs> and go, to the, go to the Johnstown Flood Museum. <clears throat> but it was the city, and with it being um, on the edge of the Blue Range Mountains, it was in the this conflux of two rivers down in this ravine. 
And this, I think I know what you're talking yeah, about this, now. This river flowed up, I want to say, like four or five miles in. There was a hunting club that had gotten started there. Yeah, South I watched Fork, this on History Channel. South Fork Hunting and Fishing Club, which was to cater to summer homes of people like the Carnegies and yep. the Rockefellers of the world. And so they built this earthen dam to create this lake that was a mile long, two miles across, and about a mile deep. Mm -hmm. And one day, it was like just around Memorial Day in the spring, they got a crap ton of rain, and that whole dam just burst. Right. And they had said, physics-wise, it was the equivalent of like turning on the Niagara Falls for like 20 minutes. And yeah. it just flowed down this road, and it hit this town at like 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Just freaking wiped it. I'm, yeah. I'm, this whole city just freaking gone. Um, now, there, were, there was a lot of, of course, whenever something like this happens in history, there's, okay, whose head's going to roll? Whose fault is this? Because thousands of people are dead. And, of course, a lot of it was a class warfare thing at the time. While those rich built that place up there and didn't take care of it, and the water comes down and wipes out all the working people. And I don't think he was ever implicated, but a lot of people think that Carnegie himself had a lot of guilt over it because yeah. he spent a lot of money in the last few years of his life just – I mean, it was, I think it was him and um, – was it Vanderbilt who were almost in a race to see how much money they could give to charity? Every I think year? Vanderbilt was dead by then. Yeah, he, Van, Vanderbilt was the oldest out of all. Yeah, of them. And Vanderbilt wouldn't have done that. He was a cop. I think it may have been. I think it, been, it would have been. Um, I'd have been Rockefeller, but Carnegie, he was the one that was responsible for building all the libraries. Yeah, actually, there was. It's too bad because we used to have a Carnegie Library in Rockford, where the old Rockford Library used to sit. They tore that down and built the built the old, the other library there but before that there was a company the, the reason why you know they tore it down right yeah it's a super fun site from what i believe that yeah there, there was a company back in the late early 1900s that did made wiring and back then you know they used tons of like toxic chemicals so yeah they had to dig up all this stuff and that's why it's still the way it is but man they had a beautiful from the old pictures i see they had a few the beautiful most beautiful car uh carnegie library i've seen mm -hmm. it was beautiful it's just just terrible that they we've done just destroyed stuff like that but yeah carnegie gave a lot of his money away yeah. at the end of his life and a lot of people said that was related to guilt he felt after the johnstown flood thing yeah. i mean granted he didn't own the south fork hunting and fishing club he bought a membership there but he wasn't responsible for right. it but it still ends up one of those and things you know where i heard that it wasn't the history channel i don't know if you ever watched those ghost shows they have travel oh, channel yeah. there's a show called yeah. the dead files have you ever seen it yeah there's oh man it's amazing i think it's awesome but they were talking about that and that's how they they had a a haunting in a house or something and she starts picking up on it and then the the, the, the guy's an ex-homicide detective from the new york uh city police department so he goes out and he finds the history on stuff and, and stuff like that yeah and i guess the reason the ghost was haunting this place was because they died in the johnstown flood that's exactly <laughs> where i heard it from we've got so we're lucky we've got a carnegie library here in freeport um is it still the still the original building? Yeah, it's still the original building. Uh, we got lucky. The library, the Freeport Public Library, built a new one um, that they, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago maybe. And the Carnegie Library sat there empty for a long time. But eventually, it was like two years ago, the city bought it and renovated it and turned it into City Hall. Oh, that's So good. it's still there. Good. And it's in At least working it's order. And, which is, they were having the debate about that for the longest time. We had a big debate about that here in town because they had the... I think I've seen that. The old City Hall that was at one point in time when it was originally built was the city hall slash fire department slash police department is this historic building. There was this big campaign across town to save it. Um, 
some people in Freeport are going to hate me when I say it was a shithole. Like, tear that fucker down. <laughs> it was just, I hate to say it, but it was, it was literally crumbling and falling. And it wasn't, it'd be one thing if it was an old building and the outside of it was beautiful and the inside was trash. Then, okay, yeah. fix up the inside. But the building was, I mean, the facade was crumbling off. And, yeah. But, um, uh, oh, my God. I had a really good point for that, and I don't remember. It just slipped out of my head. So what would you have? I don't know. We uh, we were talking about Johnstown Flood, and we were talking about um, Carnegie, and what were you talking about after that? Oh, my God. We were going on a tangent there, and then we kind of got off. Yeah, yeah, it kind (laughs) of happens. Um, I had, um, to think of it, this is really interesting. I was reading this book, and I was talking about how they have this archaeological dig that I want to say is in Nebraska. And one of the things that they figured out, this archaeological, this archaeological site predates the Iroquois, the Choctaw, all of that. And one of the things that they they think they know, they're theorizing, is that one of the first groups to cross um, from Russia and come down into North America, um, they were a big enough group that they hit this area and they decided to consciously split into four groups and just head off in different directions. With this sort of arrangement that every couple of years they would all meet back at the site to trade goods, but prim- primarily to trade daughters because population-wise, they get to the point where it's like right. we can't just keep having kids with each other. It's going to be a problem. And eventually, as time went on, they stopped meeting, and it was those people who eventually went on and became the Aztecs and the Mayans and the Iroquois and yeah, and that kind of prehistory stuff is absolutely I find it absolutely fascinating. Well, they found out I was watching a show that. The as the Mayans and the Aztecs were coming up all the way into into northern North America. Yeah. Still, they they find their artifacts like there's a, some specific type of stone that the the Aztecs and the Mayans would use for their jewelry, and they found it in Arkansas, Alabama, Illinois, Minnesota. Yeah. And they were constantly trading with each other. Yeah. And there was some kind of myth, I, and I, I'm probably butchering the hell out of this, but there was some myth about how at one point in time that. They think what may have happened to the Aztecs is while they got wiped out, they think a chunk of the a chunk of them may have left and went to Wisconsin. Because they have this old prophecy, apparently about religious prophecy about things collapsing and their salvation being in a northern land with that's white with long grass. And so based upon and again, I'm probably butchering the hell out of this because I'm only trying to recall it off the top of my head that they think a chunk of them may have left and gone all the way to Wisconsin. And have, would have been the earliest beginnings of one of the tribes in that. or may have even been part of the Winnebago tribe. Who knows? Yeah. I'm going to have to look up some more on that stuff. A lot of that prehistory stuff. Did you ever see or hear anything about the short-faced bear? Short, no. Oh, dude. So this was a bear that, when standing on its hind legs, was about 10 to 12 feet tall. And unlike most bears, like bears that we know of, like grizzly bears, black bears, brown bears, they're omnivores. Um, for the most part, despite what people think, they will only really attack you if they feel threatened. Right. Like for the most part, if there's one in the woods just hanging out and you come along and you're, hey, hey, yelling and it knows you're there, it'll probably get the hell out of there. This thing was a ferocious predator. Like it straight up tracked prey and took it out. And there's a giant correlation data wise. They lived in you know present day Alaska and along British Columbia in that area that there is actually a correlation in the archaeological record of when they died out and when humans began to cross into North America. 
Like, they were so ferocious, they kept people at bay. They kept people from coming to North America because they were all <laughs> over the place. Yeah. And at some point in time, I don't know if they were hunted into extinction or they just changing in environment, they died out. But it wasn't until after their population severely diminished and they died out that any humans began settling in North America because wow. they were just savages. Good stuff. What, um, you had, um... You had a, a story you had posted on Facebook. It was a year or so ago about um, your ancestors in the Civil War, right? Yeah, um, it was interesting. You know, you know, um, I didn't really know when I first started this to begin with. I didn't really know anything about my ancestry. You know, I didn't. You know, my mother and father died young. Um, my grandmother died when I was God, when I was like nineteen. You know, I wish God. You know, when you get older. You wish when you were younger you asked questions. Yeah. But, you know, they're all gone, but I had to do all this stuff from scratch. But on my mom's side, um, her, my sixth great grandfather on my mom's side fought for the Union. He, His family moved from Pennsylvania to Madison. When they moved there, he ended up becoming a school teacher. And this was before the Civil War. Him and his wife were both school teachers. He brought her, his in-laws with them, and they ran an underground railroad station in their house. And once um, the Civil War started, he volunteered. Well, he, he started out as a private, and eventually, you know, he went to, he was in, oh God, he was at, not Fredericksville, he was at Antietam, he was at Gettysburg, he was in a couple other battles, I can't remember. But then on my dad's side, my dad's from the south, he's from, um, Tennessee he's from around the mountains that are down by Chattanooga and my sixth great grandfather on his side he was like a mountain man you know they lived in the mountains they were farmers they were hunters well he ends up joining the Tennessee tourney guards and they were kind of like a, a very elite fighting force mm -hmm. and my grandfather on my mom's side he joined the sixth uh the sixth Wisconsin Voluntary Infantry, and they were eventually known as the Iron Brigade. They were led by yeah. uh, Colonel Rusev Doss. Yes. Um, he ended up becoming governor of Ohio, I believe. Okay. Were but, they in the the First Corps? I'm not sure. <laughs> the they they, they the called Potomac, it the, the Army of the Potomac. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, I ended up learning them because I have a cousin I found on Ancestry, before I did my DNA, I was doing my research, I found her because I correlated. That's a good thing about Ancestry is that you can find people that had the common ancestor and you can talk to them. Well, she reached out to me and God, she was, she's, she's, I think I'm pretty good, man. She's like a master. She yeah. has photos. She has everything that I don't have. Wow. She's got stories. And she was telling me a story about my Confederate grandfather and that he was like a flag bearer. And he, at that time, flag bearer, nobody wanted to do it. You were, right. you were told you're going to do this. You were the first one to die. Yeah. You, they were shooting you because you're the one leading the charge. Yeah. And she said the guy volunteered constantly for it. And he was the one. And the story is, is from my, what I learned from her and how I correlated. Um, I can't remember the name of the general. He, he was, he, he shouldn't, he wasn't even a military man. He basically got, he was a union general. He got appointed because he, donated a bunch of money one of those there was a lot yeah. of those yeah so they told the, the the generals at the time of gettysburg told everybody to hold the line don't move forward well the con uh, the contingent my confederate grandfather was in was egging this 
idiot on. So he starts breaking the lines, telling them to go after him. So the line starts, you know, spreading out. They're breaking oh, it. Yeah. So my Confederate grandfather, he's the one leading the charge. He's pushing through them, you know. And then the six was the the, the um my my grand my Union grandfather was in Company A of um the Wisconsin Infantry. He was or he was he ended up becoming a lieutenant. So you know back then in that war people were dying left and right. right. And he ended, he finally eventually became a, a first lieutenant. So he leads the charge down there, and my my and this isn't the first time. Like they they both faced each other at Antietam. Mm -hmm. And I was just, it's just amazing how I even exist. These guys fought some of the bloodiest battles yeah. of the Civil War. And I'm here today. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I just couldn't believe it. Yeah, I guess my, my, uh, my, my Union grandfather, he was shot. And my Confederate grandfather, he was shot many times. But he kept volunteering just to come back and carry that flag. He, he was kill, I guess he was killing people with it, from what I understood. Okay. He was, he was, a, he was crazy brave, or he was both. But, um, yeah, um, he ended up, after the war, the legend is, is that my Confederate grandfather, because they were both at Appomattox Courthouse when Lee surrendered, he walked back all the way from, where, yeah, from Appomattox back to Tennessee. Yeah. By himself. A lot of those people had to do that. That's insane. Yeah, the Union, they were taken home by train and yeah. stuff like that. Well, but they my, won. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, my, Cyrus, is my, Cyrus Peck is my Union, is the one that fought for the Union. And um, William Morton is my Confederate sixth great grandfather. Cyrus went back and he ended up purchasing farm, a, a lot of farmland in west, southwestern Wisconsin around. Uh, about southeast from Prairie du Chien, he ended up becoming, and that's Crawford County, he ended up becoming like the first county administrator for Crawford, Wisconsin. William went back and just went back to what he was doing before, being a simple man, and just, that was it, you know? Yeah, God. It's so crazy when you look at, like we tend to look back on history as being set in stone, which it is at this point. But when you look back on instances like that, how like just the tiniest little thing could have completely altered history mm -hmm. from a big scale to even like a personal scale did you read the story that i posted on facebook about my great-grandfather uh, enlighten me so he was um my great-grandfather henry francis finch he was um like i said earlier in the podcast he was a he was a coal miner in wales and he served in the british army during world war one and he was what was called a sapper um, and the world, he's like, uh, he was like a tunnel. Like, uh, you ever watch, uh, what's the what Peaky Blinders? I haven't watched it, but I keep hearing he about is it. A, he was a he was a sapper, okay. So, that so that's what he did. Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about the history of the Battle of the Somme, where they dug this huge tunnel underneath the lines, that's crazy. You need to watch it because you'll relate to that, probably. And he, um, during the Battle of the Somme, he actually took a bullet to the chest, and the only thing that saved his life is he had a pocket watch in his breast pocket that stopped the bullet i, I do remember you telling yeah. the story and of course this was before he married my great-grandmother before any of my ancestors were born i still as it's passed down from father to son i have that pocket watch and you I, still have I that still is have amazing that. and you can see the mark in it where the bullet hit and oh my god um, I, there are times where it's like i've looked at that watch and thought geez if that bullet was an inch or two to the left or right or up or down my kids aren't here. I'm not here. My dad's not here. My grandfather's not here. My great aunts and uncles and cousins aren't here. You're talking about like a whole branch of a tree that gets completely lopped off. And it was literally by 
by that narrow of a margin. That's that is incredible. Yeah, I, I'd always love to. I always love the concept of a time machine. I'd always love to have a time machine and then be a ghost, right. be able to go back in time and just watch shit happen. I mean, not even necessarily. Yeah, sometimes the big shit, like to go back in time and like stand there as an invisible ghost watching the Battle of Gettysburg happen. On the other hand, just little shit. Like I've always, I've thought to myself, this is so weird. Like, what it'd be like to stand right where my house is two thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. You know what it would look like. It's probably all forest because yeah. we, we know that. Um, that's the crazy thing about we regard the Illinois and the West as prairies, and that's not a natural occurrence. That's because everything was cut down by the Indians for farming. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why there were so many. And then, of course, when um, all of the microbes came along after first contact, wiped out the majority of the population, they just grew into prairies. But right. prior to that, it's probably all would have been giant forest land. But that, that's thought that'd be funny to stand in one spot. If you could stand in one spot anywhere. And have a clock in your hand, you can dial back 100 years, 300 years, 5 million years ago. Of course, 5 million years ago probably would have been in the middle of an ocean or a sea or right. something like that. But that stuff is so bizarre. Well, it's like uh, when I was over in Iraq, you know, um, the desert isn't like what you'd think. It's not sand. It's like this powdery, like, dirt. It almost looks like uh, hot chocolate mix. Oh, okay. It's, it's very powdery. And we'd always find seashells and stuff like that. And it was weird. And then I ended up going on a tour. We were over there. When we were in, it was it was um, Babylon. We got to go to a tour in Babylon. And the guy was talking about how, or we were originally stationed when we went over there. This was just after the invasion. We were near Nazaria, and it was a, a base, Talil Air Base. Saddam had created it. It was an air, it was an Iraqi air base. But the thing was, is that Talil was built on top of the ancient city of Ur. And I don't know if you you know know Ur. Ur was where the prophet Abraham was born. Oh. So this whole entire city was buried underneath the dirt. Yeah. And he was he was excavating and he rebuilt this uh, Babylonian pyramid they'd call ziggurats. They were temples to the gods. And, uh, you know... And he was saying that Ur used to be a port city. Okay. Well, the ocean's 300, 400 miles away now. Yeah. In Kuwait. The ocean, since that time, had receded, in a matter of like 3,000 years, had receded that far down south. Wow. So it's just amazing how, and like they, we talk about climate change, it's like, what happened at that point? I mean, I, at that point in time, humans weren't affecting the climate. Right. So yeah. what what happened was the Earth cooler, where the ice caps building up, and and water was receding. We went through a lot of that, uh, and I'm not a huge expert on it, but I've done some research on it. The geological record of the record of the planet, like we went through. A lot of people talk about um, when the asteroid hit 65 million years ago and wiped out the dinosaurs, and that wasn't even the biggest mass extinction in Earth history. Right. The biggest mass extinction happened. Hundreds of million years before that, and this this was a fascinating. Talk about the snowball Earth. Yeah, pretty much because well, first it was lava Earth, basically it was yeah. fire Earth. What we're looking at in Australia, because what had happened is is um, plants had evolved bark for the first time. So all of a sudden, plants were they were growing, they were becoming trees all over the planet. Uh-huh. They had evolved this. The problem is, is that we went through several millions of years where bacteria had not evolved to devour that. So when they fell and hit the ground, they didn't really decompose. Huh. They, they did it at a much slower rate. And basically what you ended with all across the planet, 
you ended up with just like feet of charcoal underneath the dirt. Yeah. And all it took was one fire or a volcano to go off and basically almost the entire, I mean, it was like Australia across the entire globe, killed off like 95% of the species that existed. And it actually, if that hadn't happened, the dinosaurs, because then the dinosaurs sort of inherited the earth. Of course, at the time they were small lizards and eventually, yeah. you know, evolved along. But I always think about that, like, God, what if we're like due for another one of those? God. You know? <laughs> like, what? I don't know with what's happened with Australia. It's just... They, they they say over 500 million animals have yeah. died. Yeah. And we don't... I think we have a hard time understanding how huge Australia is. I mean, if you... I think it's, if, it's almost the same size or a little bit bigger than the United States. Yeah, it's I've seen a map that they compare the United States yeah. with that. There's a guy that I follow who's a hunter who lives in Australia, him and his wife and his family, Adam Greentree. And he's got this house that he built that's in the mountains. It's some absolutely beautiful land. And he was saying one time on a podcast I was listening to that for him to get to the nearest town, like the nearest town the size of the village of Winnebago is like a four-hour drive. Yeah. Like, because they are so far out there. And he's posted several times on social media that he's like, he's like, no, I'm fine with the fires. Like, that that basically be like everything east of the Appalachian Mountains being on fire and everybody in the other parts of the world messaging you, dude, you okay? Yeah, I'm like thousands of miles from it. Yeah. But you look at the devastation that's going on and it's just... We're Superman when you need him, right? <laughs> you no, know, there's, you know, it's, there's, you know, it's, it's, I've, you know, I've read in scientific journals and different things like it's, it's all we have these forest fires, but, at, but, a few years after it, everything grows back and it's much more stronger, and much more denser than it was. It's like a natural occurrence, and I, I mean, this, I don't know if this, I don't know if this is a natural occurrence where somebody has been intentionally setting fires, you know, or something like that. But I mean, I don't know if it's. I'm kind of reluctant on um, climate change. I know, believe me, I know humans do it. I mean, we contribute to it, especially with you know the pollution that we put into the oceans. Oh, it's insane. But you know, the United States and most of the Western countries aren't responsible for the pollution that ends up in the oceans. It's it's you know, we talk about the Paris Accords, where you know I, I know that the you know <coughs> Trump and the you know we didn't participate in it, but it's not us that's contributing to the most pollution on the planet it's places like china india russia they're the ones that are doing the mass polluting and right. I, I understand for year for for god since the industrial revolution you know yeah we've been doing it and we've advanced to the point where we can do clean energy but you know these countries have been third world countries for a long time so, right so for us to put the burden on them to do the same thing that we're doing is almost impossible for them to do. Right. Well, we're also pretty shitty at it, too. Yeah. <laughs> Part of the problem is is that um, is something you brought up, and you're absolutely 100% correct, is we've gone through this planet over its four and a half billion year history has gone through some pretty insane cycles, you know. Um, I think if I recall, like, living here in Illinois where we get in the winter and it gets like 50 below. Right. That, you know, you start digging in the dirt and you're going to get so far down and you're going to find limestone. Right. The majority of that limestone is crushed sea creatures. Right. Because this was all basically the Mediterranean yeah. at one point yeah, in time. Yeah, it's old seabed sand. Yeah. And we can see through the geological record these swings in temperature and in climate. The thing that's troubling the most to me and I think to scientists is right now how rapidly it's happening. Usually you'd see this happen over the course of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands right. of years. And when you think about it, carbon dioxide retains heat. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, as a gas, that's what it does. And since the Industrial Revolution, we're pumping trillions of tons of it into the atmosphere every single year. You can't do that and not expect some shit to go down. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm, believe me, I'm all about it. I am 100% all about the reduce, reuse, recycle. But your average everyday consumer, such as you and me, contributes to like 1% or 2% of the population or the pollution globally. Majority of it's corporations. Right. And that's, America has gotten better at it. I'm not going to, you know, sit here and everybody just wants to bash. But I do think they own some responsibility. But the problem, I agree. The, the problem is, is just like you were saying earlier, is that capitalism is great, but it doesn't have any morals. Right. And if a company can save money doing something, they're going to do it. And if yeah. they can give money to a politician so that they don't have to spend hundreds of millions of dollars doing something differently, they're going to do it yeah. because that's the reason why they exist. But you're right. Like, oh, my God, China. I mean, we've done better. I mean, you remember how bad Los Angeles used to be? Yeah. Like, the pollution club there used to be so bad. I remember it was in 97. Yeah, I remember hearing that all the time. Yeah, I was in California in San Diego, and we drove up to L.A. one time. And literally, you came over the hill, and you could just see this, like, cloud sitting over Los Angeles. Yeah. It was all pollution. And that's you all know, it was. And I haven't heard about that in yeah. a long time. It's mostly cleared up, from what I understand. I haven't been out there in 20 plus years. Know, but do they, they have regulations on oh, yeah. cars? Well, it's California. <laughs> that's <laughs> like in, in Europe. Like, you know, around in the United States, people drive these these crap box cars. Yeah. You know, like in Europe, you can't have anything like that. No. Got, I, think, I believe it's every year you got to get your car tested. Yeah. You can't be driving some piece of crap car. Right. You're not going to have a car, you know, and that's, you know, the, the, the rules of the road and the, the rules they have over there are very, very stringent. Yeah. Like you get a DUI over there. Like when I was in Germany, um, the polizei they would make they would at the scene if you were caught drinking and driving they would make you take a blood test if you did not they would get it out of you oh really oh yeah that was part of it i had to take the german uh driving test god it makes ours look like a joke really oh yeah. super strict yeah you man they got 800 signs you got to learn in german <laughs> and in english and there's things like man what the heck you know, I was talking, uh, one of my, my cousin Lotta, her daughter, she just got, they, they can't get their driver's license till they're 18. Yeah. But like, it's very, very hard. It's, it's, you gotta, you gotta really study for it. It's not like you go here, you take an eye test and like, hey, parallel park here and then drive down the road. Hey, good yeah. job. You passed. Yeah. No kidding. You know, that's the, that's the thing too. Like, and <laughs> I was watching an old video from World War II. And it was it was a video they showed to the soldiers when they, when we went over to Britain to get ready to go fight in Germany, uh-huh. and it was ta- teaching them etiquette when they went in the bars. <laughs> and they had a part where the guy comes in, he's making fun of people like guys in kilts, like, "Hey, what the hell are you wearing a dress for?" And oh, like, no. it's just like you know, and then and so you know, American as Americans, we are very boisterous, and you know. You know, we're we, loud and proud. We're, yeah, yeah. We go to these other countries; they don't see us like no. I mean, they, they don't understand, and we need to understand. And they had to they had to teach the proper etiquette to these American <laughs> soldiers because they're used. I mean, hell, the, the, when you go to a pub over in England or go to uh, like a bar or something, an old bar in Germany, everybody's quiet. It's not like this boisterous yeah. thing where everybody's acting like an idiot like we do here. It's right. more peaceful. They they drink to enjoy company. Yeah, like we here. People drink to get rowdy. It's just like the yeah. old, old saloons yeah. from the Wild West, and people get thrown out the double door, you know. And it, it's almost like you see 
in 2020 the culture of the rowdy settlers who came over here and had to dig an existence out of the dirt right and to this day just want to get smashed and yell at each other and right over there were like the annoying little brother who god would somebody shut him up right <laughs> and, an idiot. And it's it must it must become some type of survival thing that we learn because we you know we we moved when we came over here our ancestors we moved we came over to to a violent rough environment right you know and and most you know a lot, you know, in the old Western stuff, especially like the true history stuff, they, they always drank. Yeah. They always drank hard liquor. And at that time, they couldn't find water. That was your sustenance, your sustenance for liquid was alcohol. Right. Because getting water from, you didn't, if you didn't know it was trusted source, you'd get dysentery. Yeah. Typhoid, fever, whatever. It was, it was, it was deadly. Yeah. So people just started using alcohol and beer to hydrate themselves. Right. Which is crazy. But yeah, there's such a long history. And also the other thing to keep in mind is that the earliest settlers in America, I mean, it's not like England and France and Germany were like, let's get together our 100 most intelligent college graduates and send them over. No. Let's be honest. These were pieces of shit from Europe who were coming over here and said, okay, um, there's no going back. There's no call 911. There's no supermarket. There's no Walmart. We got to figure this crap out. We've got to dig it out of the ground, or we got to go make it. Right. Or... And they wanted to move. They, they yeah. had land. Yeah. They couldn't own nothing there. Everything right. was under the crown. And mm-hmm. no matter if it was Britain, France, Sweden, all of them wanted to come over. Actually, Sweden was the first country to acknowledge the United States as a country after the revolution. Yeah. And. They did, they wanted to come over here. They didn't want to go back, and that's 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 what's the best thing I love about this country. It's ingrained for us not to follow royalty. Right. Yeah. We wanted to get away from that. We couldn't own anything. We could, you know, we we came over here to get away from stuff like mm-hmm. that. And here, <laughs> here I see sometimes on social media people are posting about you know the ro- the royals and what they're doing next. I'm like, who gives a shit? Yeah. No one cares. It's like they were born they they were born into the birth lottery and won. Right. That's why, um, and I believe I said this on this podcast with George Buss, one of the people from American history I revere the most is probably George Washington. And that is simply because he was one of those people who in a rare moment in history, certainly the most rarest in American history, who literally stood in a position where he could have done whatever the hell he, he wanted to do. He could have been emperor. He could have declared himself king. He could have made it so that when he was president, everybody who walked in had to get on their knees he could have, and nobody would have been able to and stop him. And they loved him. And they loved him. And said he said, no, I am not your majesty. I am Mr. President. Uh, yeah, I think the term at the time, like, your excellency was used or something like that. But no, we handshake. We don't bow. You know. He didn't, he didn't even want to be president. No, he didn't. He, he, wa- he wanted to go back and be a farmer again. And he had, it was funny. He kept getting sucked into the he, shit. Well, people kept showing up at Mount Vernon. <laughs> he had people come like, oh, you need to be president. And then he finally did it. And even King George made the statement. It's like, this man had everything in the world and gave it up. Yeah. He could have been. People yeah. revered him. I forgot who it was I was reading who was like, uh, oh, yeah, might have been in the play Hamilton where like, if you've ever seen or heard the play Hamilton. I've heard of it. I've never seen it. Absolutely amazing. But a couple times, three times in there, there's a ballad from King George. One is right as the revolution starting. One is when the Revolutionary War is over. And one is after um, Washington doesn't run for another term. And King George is singing and he kind of basically says like, he just resigned. I didn't even know that's something you could do. Like I thought you were just like, that's what you... And it was crazy because he went and was in the Revolutionary War, 
and all he wanted was for, for the war to be over so he could go back to Mount Vernon and be left alone. Mm-hmm. Part of it is he thought he was on a short leash on life because I think it was his brother and his dad and like his grandfather had all died by the time they were 45. Yeah, and he had no children of his own. No, so he thought for sure by mid-40s to 50s he was going to be dead and he was already past that point. So he thought he was living on borrowed time. For him, it was the equivalent of being 80 years old. He just wanted right. to go to his farm and just relax. Um, as I recall, Shay's Rebellion happens, where a bunch of Revolutionary War vets were angry over not getting paid their pension and basically formed up into an army to attack the Capitol, which at the time was New York City, Right. as I recall. Yeah. And they called George Washington in because he's literally the only one who could show up and say, hey, guys, settle down. We'll figure it out. Because he was the only one in the country they were going to listen to. He was right. General he, Washington. Yeah, and they loved him. He, yeah. he was, you know, back then they didn't fight during the winter months. They right, would always yeah. camp out until spring. And right. usually the officers would go home and spend time with their families. And the enlisted people were stuck. Freezing their asses, freezing off, their asses off. Well, George Washington and Martha, his wife, stayed at Valley Forge. Was stuck them, out. And, and she would cook for the... And at that time, that's something... I mean, that's what just... What makes us different than the British Empire? These guys, the, the people that were officers, were were lords. They were sons of you know Royalty. lords and stuff like that. Yeah. And George Washington. I mean, he, he came from a well-off family, but the the wealth was squandered. Actually, he didn't get a red cent from his dad. No, his his his, his brother did, and he didn't get anything. Yeah, he got most of it from marrying Martha. Martha, which yeah, is where he inherited but, all that from. You know, that's that's the, and you look at a you know being a military man myself. You look at somebody like that. It's like man. Yeah, I would follow this guy to hell and back. Well, that's you know, that's why what happened happened like you're talking about. Well, and, you know, and they had um, the first Constitution, which created the Confederacy, which in nine years completely collapsed. Of course, they didn't have an executive; they had a legislative branch in the courts, and that was it. Yeah, and everything collapsed in it. So they decided to have the Second Continental Congress, and they basically—I don't want to say strong arm, but they spent forever, especially as I remember Thomas Jefferson talking. George Washington into coming and presiding over because he was the only one everybody in the country would listen to, all the representatives, all the people. And even then, they say, okay, we wrote the Constitution, we need a president. George Washington, you need to be the first one, otherwise this whole thing's going to fall apart. Right. And even then, I, I think it's funny that we would never conceptualize this now, but his original concept when he got elected the first president, and John Adams ran against him just to set the precedent that somebody would always run against, that it would always be a... Yeah. And uh, even then, he thought when he got elected, he's like, well, I'm only probably going to serve the first two terms of this and then hand it over to John Adams because I just need to be here. And that turned into four years. And then eventually, Jefferson and Hamilton were at each other's throats in the cabinet, which is where our two-party system came from. That's where it all started, no, right. those two right. hating each other's guts. And he was basically the only one who they wouldn't openly go to blows in front of him. So he stuck around it. And at the point, I think everybody kind of assumed that George Washington was just going to stick around as president until he died. And he could have, if he wanted to, I mean, somebody, John Adams or somebody would have always run against him just for that precedent. But I want to say he was the only person who was the first president, but he was the only one to ever be elected. I think with like unanimous electoral vote, right. you know? Um, and even then he finally, finally after eight years of being president and he had given between the war and serving over the Continental Congress in eight years as president, he gave something like over 30 years of his life to the founding of this country. Yeah. No other founding father could say that, you know. <laughs> and he spent a lot of the, you know, back then, you know, like the lavish state dinners that we have now, they're funded by taxpayer money. Right. Back then, those those guys had to pay for that out right. of their pocket. So yeah. when you ran you you ran for president, you had to have money because right. you, you were paying for that stuff all on your own. Yeah. 
And, you know, it's just, I, I, I'm like you, I revere George Washington a lot for what he did. He has his faults, don't oh, get yeah. me wrong, but mm-hmm. I mean, for the, you know, he, he was a man that was out of his time. Yeah, big time. Well, he, um, and not that I'm downplaying it, I mean, everybody loves to bring up that he was a slave owner, and he was, you know, there's, yeah. there's, no, there's no debating that whatsoever. The interesting thing that I had read about him is that um, when he married Martha, he inherited the slaves as part of his dowry. And it was written in a contract law that he could not free them without reimbursing their value back to the dowry. So he was somewhat locked because he could, basically yeah. he couldn't afford to free them. He wasn't super, super rich like no. thing. Um, and But what he did is when he passed away, because of the fact that he didn't have any children, uh, Martha had a child who died young. Yeah. So he had no children. And then he had it specifically written in his will that every single slave that was part of his property was to be either sent to college on his dime or taught a trade on his dime and then free. Yeah, I, yeah, I've read you that. Know? And you, don't, you didn't see many. Back no. then it was like a big thing, like somebody couldn't wait for dad to die because I'm going to inherit the estate and 300 slaves. Right. You know, and make a fortune out of this. Yeah. You know, but... Um, but he was one of those people, and you don't see that. You typically, we we know in history, and we see it over and over again that um, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. And I, I always revered George Washington because he was the one exception. He was the one who didn't want to do it, didn't want to lead, but it kind of fell to him responsibility because he knew that you know everything that we fought for is going to completely fall apart if I don't do this. Right. Um, so. Yeah, he's definitely up there, and as I said in the podcast with George Buss, Abraham Lincoln as well, because even though he, he different circumstances, but you could definitely look at the history of the Civil War and say, you know, had somebody else been president, things could have gone completely different, because I don't think we were aware of during the Civil War what a tipping point we were on. We were on the tipping point of either becoming the United States that we are, or becoming like Europe. Because a lot of people think like, oh, well, you know, if we had lost the war, the South would be its own country, the North would be its own country. Um, It would have been a lot different than that. I mean, at the height of the revolution or at the height of the Civil War, there were some southern states. I want to say like Alabama and Arkansas and Texas were talking about seceding from the Confederacy. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people don't know this, but at one point in time, Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin and Iowa were talking about seceding from the Union. Not to join the Confederacy. Well, you know, southern Illinois, some counties in southern Illinois vowed their... uh, what is it, allegiance to the Confederacy? Yeah. Well, that's the weird history of Illinois. Because if you look at Illinois geographically, our southernmost point is further south than Richmond, Virginia. Right. And so Illinois was sort of founded by, it was first come up from the south by people who were southerners but didn't want to be slave owners. Right. Who were then pushed to central Illinois by people who moved into southern Illinois who were slave owners. And the north was settled by northerners coming across. Yeah. Benton, Illinois. It's north. It's the county north of uh, Williamson, where Marion, Marion, Illinois, is at. They were part of the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just it's just amazing, you know, <laughs> that it, we 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 were a Union state, but then you had. I mean, that's just like what if, what if the Civil War happened today? It's yeah. not going to be up here north and south thing. It's no. going to be basically rural areas versus, versus urban. urban. Yeah. <laughs> and that's 100% true. That's really, and it's funny that I mentioned that about um, Jefferson and Hamilton, because with the two-party system, that's where it started then as well, is that Hamilton was a New Yorker who came to, he was an orphan. He came to New York as a young man and was educated there and had very urban sensibilities. Thomas Jefferson was a Southerner and mm-hmm. very rural and owned a huge estate and a bunch of slaves. And obviously both had very different views on 
how things were supposed to operate and what was priority and what the government had powers to do and what it didn't. And we still see that today. Yeah. I mean, you see a lot of that. I mean, it's kind of like that's what always cracks me up is that you can, and I'm not making a statement about this, about Trump or anything like that, just purely Democrat and Republican. As you look at the counties in Illinois on any election and what goes blue and what goes red, well, the ones that are going to vote Democrat are primarily Chicago. Right. Anything north of I-88. Right. You know, whereas you get out of the rural territories, they're, they're going to go red because that's right. just kind of like who people relate to, I guess. But um, it's bizarre stuff. Speaking of that, have you you seen what's going on in Virginia? You seen read about all that stuff? What's that? that base, what's the governor of Virginia? He's that 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 former neuro, pediatric neurosurgeon. He's the guy that put himself in black. He was he, when he was in college. He oh, put himself in blackface with his friend. Yeah. And he was uh, dressed in Ku Klux Klan outfit. Yeah, they're trying to do something with gun confiscation oh. so like 90 counties in virginia have went sanctuary oh even yeah. the sheriffs have been like you're not coming in here and they're it's not a general like gun confiscation it's just like they have like what they consider assault weapons you know yeah. you know m4 m, m, m6 uh ars stuff like that and there was talk like some of these politicians are talking about like they're, they want to bring in the National Guard. Well, the, the commander of the National Guard is like, Whoa. we're not doing that. Yeah. not. This is like going back to like Britain trying yeah. to confiscate guns. And you know that's that's one thing. You know I've talked to people in other countries and I've talked to my family in Sweden about. It's like it's not that we worship weapons. It's just like it's ingrained in us that once someone starts taking a weapon, it means like. Something bad's about to happen. Yeah. Well, whether it is, it, whether it is or isn't, I don't right, know. It's there. But it's just like it's always been taught. A lot of people talk about how America has a gun culture, like it's a bad thing. Um, I'm not one of those people. I mean, we're sitting in my kitchen. Below me is my basement. I got a gun cabinet down there mm-hmm. with a bunch of guns in it. I'm by no means anti-gun. I think that it becomes, but it, we definitely. I mean, just like we were saying, if you go back to the earliest settlers to come here. If you didn't have a firearm, you were screwed. Right. Firearm meant survival. Exactly. And when you have a society that evolves along those lines, there's no doubt that a couple hundred later, years later, we're going to get to the point where we have a very strong gun culture, A, for safety, and B, for hunting purposes. Um, I'm kind of of the mindset where I'm sort of like, I, w- I would never, ever, ever be like pro-confiscate gun or pro-ban firearms. Not at all. And I think the thing that gets lost is the majority of the people on the left don't feel that way. You've got some of your fringe, like way out there people, just like you look at the Republicans or like the conservative, the right wing, guess where the Ku Klux Klan is. They're over there. But does that mean everybody who's on that side is a Klan member or sympathize with them? No, right. absolutely not. They're, they're a fringe well, element. And like real quick, they go into talking about, you know, the democratic party created the Ku Klux Klan. And you've heard that story, right? Yeah. But, but people, yeah, but people don't realize. And I don't know if you heard the story in Indiana. This was back in the twenties when the Ku Klux Klan was at the height of its power. You couldn't even become a politician unless you joined the Ku Klux Klan in Indiana. Yeah. And I can't remember the name of the leader, but he ended up raping a woman and raped her so bad that she was on her deathbed. And she ended up telling the whole story and basically brought the entire Ku Klux Klan down. Really? Yeah. Okay. But you couldn't you couldn't even join you couldn't even run for office in Indiana without joining the Ku Klux Klan. And it's like, yeah, maybe the, maybe the Democrats did create it. Right. But you know, I mean, to 
Well, here, so here's 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 the here's the story, and this is where things always get convoluted. And we love to put stuff on this. <clears throat> is that when the Civil War is over, the South, economically speaking, was absolutely decimated. Right. I mean, it was just destroyed, and so you had a lot of people from the North who realized really quickly that they could go to the South and buy a shit ton of land for dirt cheap. Right. They were called carpetbaggers because typically they would have a bag made out, sewn together out of old carpet. And the Ku Klux Klan started. The reason why they wore the hoods and wore all white robes was because they were representing the ghosts of Confederate soldiers. They were saying, you people who are coming down here to buy up this land, you are shitting on the ghosts of Confederate soldiers who fought for this land. And so that's who they began terrorizing. Nathan Bedford Forrest was a he was a slave slave owner. He was a plantation owner who, when the Civil War broke out, joined the Confederate Army as a private. Decided he didn't like his commanding officer, quit, and on his own dime, own dime, raised the cavalry unit. And he was one of those people who, having absolutely zero training, ended up a true military genius. Like he was just one of those guys who just, for whatever reason, had a knack for warfare. Mm-hmm. And so when the war was over, he helped start the Ku Klux Klan for that reason. Once they started targeting free African Americans, he quit. He's like, "This isn't why I got. This isn't why I got involved in this. I could really get. They're free men. Like whatever. I don't like them. But if they're going to go do what they do, they're going to do what they do. They're from the South. They're still Southerners. But these Northerners moved. That's where it all got started. And they kind of went through this weird like." The history of the Ku Klux Klan, where they almost completely die out and then pop back up, just like you were saying. Yeah, it came back, and, and and like when they tear, and this is what I get in an argument with. You know, I obviously have a Confederate ancestor. He was a Confederate hero, and um, these statues are tearing down. Yeah, they weren't. If you watch them, when they tear them down, they easily come down. Mm. And these were all ma- These were all mass produced in the twenties, back yeah. when when the um, Ku Klux Klan was at its height. Yeah. They were putting them up basically as a reminder to African Americans, like, we're still here, we're in charge. Right. It's not like the old statues that were cast in iron or steel and iron and Weighed stuff like that. Thousands of pounds, yeah. yeah. That they have to get a crane to pick up. Like you see some they just go, they're they're made of like tin. They yeah, just they just push crank. right over. Yeah, they, they mass produce these things. And I you know and I can completely understand you know, and people don't realize that, you know, that, that, that flag, you know, I understand in the South, it's completely different. You know, it, it, some of it is comes from heritage. But I see some people that live in the North and fly that. And I'm like, come on, really? Yeah. The, the, that, the, yeah. You know, we're, we're in the North. I and mean, this isn't part of our heritage. Yeah. But, I mean, to, to, to look at that flag and realize that it was a war. You know, people say it was over states' rights. It was over states' rights to have slavery. Yeah, no shit. Every, every <laughs> historian knows that. Every, you yeah, know, the, let's not confuse things. And it's, it's just ridiculous. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the grand, sixth grandson of somebody literally that fought against each other. I, I understand that Southerners have their pride in it. There's some, you know, I've seen there's some black people that have the flag and, and some of them served in Confederate um, units. Yeah. But to to defend it, I just, I don't, I don't get it. It's because I, I can see, and I can see how that flag can affect somebody, well, especially when you were the one that was subjugated under it. Yes. Well, and you know, when you take into account the history of it, and I think about this a lot, when here in Freeport, right in front of the courthouse, um, and we're in Freeport, Illinois, for people who are out of state listening, which is we're about 20 miles south of the Wisconsin border. So we're, we're pretty far to the north. Yeah. 
And in our courthouse downtown in front of it is a monument to all those from the county who died in foreign wars. And it was primarily put up as a Civil War monument. List, and it lists on there all the oh, yeah, uh, yeah, from the county. Monument. So there's a list on there of all the people from Stevenson, from this county, who died in the Civil War. And it's 2020, and you have a guy in a pickup truck born and raised in this town driving past that with a Confederate flag bumper sticker. No, I'm like, man. You want to talk about shitting on the graves of troops. I mean, we're literally, and I get I get that it, it's not a normal thing. Like, there, there's a definitely a historical crux here where we're talking about heritage, we're talking about history, and we're talking about history that people are proud of for reasons other than slavery. I get the fact that they fought with it for what they believed and they thought they were fine. I get that. But at the end of the day, you're talking about an insurrection that claimed the lives of a quarter of a million U.S. Army troops and naval personnel, if we're getting specific. And just like you were saying, like if I'm an African-American person descended from slaves and there's a Confederate monument in the middle of my town that was there to honor somebody who fought to keep my ancestors in chains, I can kind of see you getting a little upset about yeah. that. I can and see you having what, an issue with it. And that's the problem, that nobody wants to relate. Mm. And I actually watched a video. This was back yeah, a couple of years ago. There was some people that were defending the Confederate monuments, and there were some African-Americans, you know, and they were obviously arguing, arguing against it. And they all both came out and said, you know, we're talking about this. They all sat down, had some drinks together, and they said, you know, we're not going to convince each other, you know, to give up whatever but he's like at least we are coming forth and talking about this issue and the the guys that were for the monuments is like we can see that why they're angry i right. can understand yeah and the african-americans were saying we can see because you know that's part of their, their, their ancestors and like we talked earlier nobody wants to relate to the other side right yeah that is that is the hardest thing and a lot of it comes down to empathy like just exactly what you were saying like is it possible for you to in that mental space put yourself in their shoes and understand their perspective because i think if everybody could do that we'd have a lot of different views on a lot of different things right and and one thing that is, it really gets me is like there's been we've had tons of i hate using the term african because they're americans um i'll say african-american you know heroes that fought in many different wars i'll say henry johnson I don't know if you ever you have you ever heard of him. No. He fought in World War One. He was part of the Harlem Hellfires. Group. Okay. Um, when Har it was an all black uh, infantry unit, they sent them over to France during World War One. At that time, they didn't want them fighting on the front. So it, with around white soldiers. So I can't remember the name of the general. He gave them to France and said, "You do what you want with them." So they put them on the front lines. Well, one night Henry Johnson and his friend were in the trench and. Um, what was it like i don't know like a foxhole and they end up getting surprise attacked by the germans well his friend ends up getting stabbed by one of the bayoneted by one of the germans henry johnson this guy was like five foot five foot two small guy he he took out like 16 of them on his own Whoa. yeah they called him the black death <laughs> he ended up getting the crow de guerre which is basically france's um medal of honor okay he was very revered by the French. He came back, didn't get any honors for what he did from the United States. Came back, I think he died when he was 29. He died, he was a bellhop in a, in a, um, in a hotel in New York. He died in a hotel room by himself. I don't know if he, he was an alcoholic. He, mm -hmm. di he died young. Yeah. But this, there's stories like that. It's like, um, 
Bass Reeves. He was the inspiration for the Lone Ranger. Yeah. You know, he, he went to Indian territory, he would hunt down criminals, and he was the only ones that the, the Native Americans would trust to go on their land and hunt these criminals of the United States. He was a U.S. Marshal, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 And they turned it into, you know, turned the Lone Ranger into a white guy with a mask and his Indian sidekick. And it's like, we have a history in this country and it's, you know, finally we're in a day and age where we can recognize them, the, the amount of information we have on the internet and people can access that, you know, yeah. before that, nobody really knew it was just word of mouth. Or if you were, you read books, then you'd end up finding the truth. But now this information is being spread and it's a good thing, but that's, we're reliving some of the stuff that we've lived in the past where people don't want to remember stuff like that and they don't want to emphasize with why some people from different ethnicities are mad at how we've treated them. Yeah. And they're like, oh, it's 2019 or 2020. Well, you know what? Man, it's there's been empires that have been crumbled for hatreds that have lasted for hundreds of years. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um... It's sad. I think about it a lot, and I think to myself, like, I don't, there's no way to avoid it, but this isn't something I want my kids to deal with. I don't want my grandkids to deal with, but you just feel like it's going to continue because, you know, it's like we can't come to a consensus on, um, and I totally get it. Like, you know, I could could rightfully sit here and say that I don't give a shit. I never owned slaves. My ancestors never owned slaves. But on the other hand, that's not acknowledging the fact that I'm an American, and it's an American problem. Right. Therefore, it's all of ours to deal with. So how are we going to deal with it? You know, and it, it's sad, especially what you were saying in situations like that, or even like the Tuskegee Airmen. Exactly. Um, where it's like they could go and fight and die to preserve this country and pervert, preserve democracy and then come back to the States and they still can't vote. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I had to take tests to see how many bubbles of uh, bubbles were in a bar of soap. Yeah. How ridiculous is that? <laughs> absolutely insane well dude we've plowed through about three hours <laughs> so it was uh it was a good talk yeah um, really i enjoyed it yes yeah. thank you for having me on man yeah thanks for coming on we'll we'll get you on again sometime all so right. all right thanks everybody